stop whatever you're doing and listen to Josh and Daniel, Diary of the Madman, the ultimate Aussie podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast where we geek out about all things Aussie and all things Aussie related. I am Josh Crum, and with me as always is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? What's up? What's up, guys? Not much, man. Excited to be back in the chair again today. I got me a new cushy studio chair that I'm excited about. I'm feeling very comfortable today. So if I sound a little more relaxed and laid back, it's because I am. Josh thinks he's driving a Cadillac. He's in oh, a new chair, like... and his, he's been fucking grinning yeah, ear, ear to ear since we started. Because he's not wearing pants. <laughs> oh, you may be wondering who that voice is. Daniel, do you care to tell us who's joining us today? Yeah, we have our main man, Ryan Beavers, is joining us. We figured this is a celebration of our one-year anniversary. We're going to answer our listeners' questions, and we thought instead of Ryan always joining for just the battles, it would be fantastic to have him in on this very special episode. Ryan is a huge contributor to the show, and we just wouldn't be the same without him. What's up, Ryan? Not much, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, the invites uh, means a lot to be a part of this. Pretty fucking pumped. So uh, let's get in. For those of you that don't know, Ryan does all of our artwork, and he fucking slays it. And I truly mean that. And I feel like without Ryan, we're just another podcast. He makes people give us a chance. You know, there's an old wrestling analogy. We all love wrestling. They used to say Hulk Hogan brings them to the building, but Ric Flair makes them come back. Ryan brings them to our building with this awesome artwork. And then Dan and I make them come back with our kick-ass fucking podcast that we put on. So <laughs> we appreciate you guys listening, but we appreciate Ryan also for driving them in because his artwork really does make everything pop out. It's definitely a huge part of the show. I appreciate it. I, uh, I do a mean leg drop myself, so. I was going to say, I love the analogy, but it's not Ric Flair, baby. It's Macho Man that made him come back. Greatest wrestler of all time right there. Macho Man, Randy Savage. I love him, man. You know, he lived in Kentucky because Miss Elizabeth is from Lexington. Yeah. So uh, I heard a great story about him on the radio one day. I'll share it with you guys real quick. If you don't like wrestling, fast forward about three minutes. He would go to WKYT Studios and cut his promos for the WWF back in the 80s and 90s. And they said he was just always in character. So, like, these local news anchors who live around here all know the Macho Man. He's like, what's going on, Dave? You know, just walking through the studio. Going to go cut a promo. And then go in and cut his promo real quick and just leave. You know, and they were just always in character. It never changed anytime you saw that guy. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. They lived there for so long. And also, his dad had a wrestling promotion. I can't think of the name of it right now. Was the, it the uh, the yeah. yeah. It was based out of Kentucky also. So that's why they, I guess that's where he met Miss Elizabeth, I would assume. A lot of people don't know. He was also a professional baseball player, Randy Savage, mm-hmm. for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. He was amazing, man. The funny thing back then is you had to stay in character. Like, even though you were friends, you weren't allowed to be seen outside the ring. They had to keep the facade up. Yeah. On his baseball card, he played for the Reds for, the, for their minor league team. And on the card, if you read the back of it, it says he improved his batting average by lowering his elbow. <laughs> 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 Which is fucking great because his finishing move was the elbow drop, right? That's awesome. Yeah. So he must have he played for the Cardinals and the Reds. That's awesome. The Cardinals and the Reds. Yeah. 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 Right field, I think, right? I'm not sure. I do know I saw a thing. I don't mean to talk so much Randy Savage here, but they said he also like tore something in his shoulder one time and he learned to throw and catch opposite handed, which wow. is crazy as hell. But apparently he crazy. really did. Pretty athletic guy for sure. 
So before we get started on the news, again, we want to thank all of our listeners. If you can believe it, the Diary of the Mad Men Ultimate Aussie podcast is a year old coming up, and we're just super excited to be still doing it and, in my opinion, getting better and better with each show. I want to thank Josh. I want to thank Ryan for being just such a great part of my life, and I hope you guys have really enjoyed the heart and love that all three of us have really put into this show. Thank you guys for me also. This has been above and beyond what Dan and I, when we first set out to do this podcast, we were discussing one day, what do you think we could draw with this numbers wise? Like how many listeners can we get? And we both agreed if we had 20 listeners a week, we'd be happy with it. And I'm proud to say we're way the fuck above 20 listeners a week. (laughs) And we can continue to grow actually. Yeah, and it's still growing all the time. So it's like, man, like I just, it blows my mind that so many people tune in as new as the show still is. And it's been a great year, man. And it's just only going to get better. We hopefully have a big episode coming up next episode for you guys also that we're very excited about. Keep your fingers crossed for us on that one. Josh and I's plan is to really resurrect Ozzy's reputation. I know that sounds kind of silly, but I feel like the Osbournes of the 2000s really hurt his reputation, especially amongst the metal community and musicians. We're here to really raise the flag of Ozzy as a musician, and we want to make sure that his reputation as the greatest heavy metal singer, I don't give a fuck what you guys think, is back in his rightful place. I agree. I I don't think he lost that respect, though, in the metal community. I think he's done his due diligence, the work is done, and he will forever have that respect. It's the random people, it's the random fan bases throughout, it's the faceless internet community that can't help themselves. The legacy is there. That's not going anywhere, I think. I still think he's got all the respect in the world from the actual musicians within the community. See, I think the legacy is there, but this could be a whole topic someday. I love this, Ryan. But I think the diehard metal fans that are always preaching Dio and Maiden and all those blabbermouth people, and you know who we're talking about, they rip on him constantly, and it drives me up the fucking wall. And I actually think those are the people that have kind of betrayed his legacy. A lot of times, those those are also like 14-year-old kids who have no fucking clue about anything Ozzy did or anything that Black Sabbath did. There's certain bands that are cool to hate on. You know, Nickelback's always had that, and Metallica has that. And then you know, there's a segment that Ozzy has that, that is kind of cool to hate on it. But at the same time, you know, my biggest beef with people, how many artists the age of Ozzy Osbourne are still releasing major fucking releases like this? I don't understand how it goes under the carpet of mainstream media that Ozzy is 73 and still releasing major mainstream fucking albums. Quality music. Yep. guaranteed and they're good are they diary of a madman no but they're still good when is the last time bob dylan put out a fucking quality record you know what i mean stuff like that when's the last time the rolling stones put out a quality record right right it blows my mind how underappreciated it can be sometimes you know we've had so many people message and i do want to pat us on the back for this real quick and say we've had a lot of messages from people that say i didn't listen to those albums i didn't like scream so i never gave it much of a chance or i didn't like the rest of the wicked or osmosis and because of your show, I went back, and I'm glad I did because now I fucking listen to it on the regular. And that's the yeah. highest compliment Dan and I can get because that's exactly what we're trying to do. It's exactly right. And that brings Josh and I so much pleasure when we do hear our listeners go back and tell us, you know, I stopped listening to Ozzy at around No More Tears, and holy shit, I'm into Osmosis now, or you know, whatever it can be. And that's exactly yep. why we do it. So our main man, Josh, went and saw a concert this week. He saw The Mighty Poison. They've been doing some headline shows outside of the major festivals they've been doing. 
Josh, how was the show this week? Hey, man, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, we had a blast. My wife and I actually had our anniversary last week, so we went to the Poison concert as a little bit of an anniversary date. They played my hometown, Pikeville, Kentucky. We have an arena here that holds about 8,000. Nice. It was sold out, and it was packed, man. The crowd was fucking lit. I think everyone's so over COVID, you know what I mean? They're just ready to have a good time. Of course, with Poison, you have nothing but a good time, right? But no, it, it, was a, it was a good show, man. Yeah, you like what I did there? Oh, oh, talk dirty to me. Come Get on. out of here. Well, you but, talk uh, dirty to me every no, night, my man. The show was fucking awesome, man. I, mean, I got to say, I've seen Poison five times, I think. And that may have been the best one. The energy was just so there. The crowd was there. I do have one small complaint that I wanted to discuss with you guys though, while we're on the show. So... I have no doubt that everyone went home happy. The show was really good. The energy was good. Everything was there. But we realized that Brett Michaels has been sick. He did miss the stadium tour show. They've cut their set back a little bit on the stadium tour. I think they went to only seven songs on the stadium tour. So for a headline night, though, you would think 90 minutes or so of Poison, they barely broke an hour. They played nine songs and two solos. So altogether, 11 tracks, but two of them were solos. What's your guys' opinion on that, man? Is that a little bit pushing it to uh, barely reach an hour, or do you think that's acceptable, knowing that Brett Michaels has been sick and that's kind of been an issue for him? You could, uh, I guess, give him a little leeway with, with being sick, but, I mean, in 2022, you're an arena act, and then the prices that people are paying for tickets these days. I mean, you got McCartney's out there doing three-hour shows. The Eagles are out there doing three-hour shows. Like, I don't know what your excuse is when you, you know you pack an arena realistically and you do eleven songs or whatever it is, and two of those being solos. I'd be pissed. I don't know what you paid for them, but it, I'm sure it was a decent enough penny. The average ticket was around sixty-five dollars. It wasn't crazy. Okay, but still, you throw in some fees. You're at what eighty-five, almost ninety, probably. So it just for an arena act this day and age, and when you got guys twenty and twenty-five years older than you playing. Twice that and then some. I have a hard time with that. I saw the Pixies a couple of months ago and they played 34 songs two hours straight. It was fucking amazing. Yeah. So I think nine is just not quite enough. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to count the solos. I don't think you count the solos either. If I'm 100% honest, like I said, I do think everyone left happy uh, living in the area. And I do live in a small town. I can tell you the next day, everyone was kind of buzzing on Facebook, putting up their photos. Like everyone definitely enjoyed the show. I felt like they could have thrown in two more if you get to 11 tracks 13 with the solos at that point you're looking at an hour 20 you're nearing range there i will say i thought that was a little bit disappointing i felt like even though we all do know that brett's been sick and he did miss a stadium tour show for being hospitalized so he's definitely legitimately sick with his diabetes but i thought throwing in two more songs wouldn't been too much to ask when they started going into every rose has a storm and i was like uh are we already ending the <laughs> Like, are, we, so, are we coming on to the to the end of the night right here already? And I come from the perspective of like all my shows. I'm up in, in Chicago. It would take me longer to get out of the parking lot than it would they, than they actually played. So that yeah, yeah, that would irk the shit out of me. Great point. And I think thirteen yeah. to fourteen is a fine number. Honestly, I, I agree. If they would have done two more, I don't think anyone would have complained about it at all. I think they right. were just about too shy. That said, you know, everyone had a good time. Lita Ford opened the legendary Lita Ford. So we got to hear a guitar player try to sing Ozzy's parts again, which I'm not a fan oh, of. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I, I was sitting there thinking I'd almost rather her like pipe those in just with Ozzy's voice or something. You know what I mean? Just to fucking, I don't know. It just, Lita was really good, actually. How was the crowd response to close my eyes forever? The crowd response to Lita Ford in general was really fucking good. Yeah. Really good. She's actually. amazing, man. Yeah. Dan, type in Lita Ford, Pikeville, Kentucky. Listen to her guitar player's tone. Tell me you don't want his fucking sound. 
damn, he sounded wow. good, man. He had the tone that I would love to have. I'll tell you that. She did 10 songs with a drum solo, so she did nine songs as well. That's pretty remarkable. But she's the opener, so with her, it's a little more understandable. No, I, that's my point, though. The opener did the same exact amount of songs as the headliner. I think that's perfect amount of set for the opener. It's a great set. She's amazing. She had a couple of records there in the late 80s, early 90s that are fantastic, and she's totally underrated as a player, as a performer. I'm really happy to see her back out there playing because I've always been a pretty big fan of Lita Ford. Yeah, me too. And she kept the BC Rich guitars cool even before Stranger Things, right? Right. That's <laughs> right. Played her BC Riches. And no, she was awesome, man. And and the show was still, like I said, it was still a blast. No one complained. Everyone had a good time. And that's ultimately that's all that matters. It's cool from a positive spin that they came to such a small market. Honestly, it's not like they went to Lexington. Pikeville is a much smaller market. So hats off to Poison for even playing a market like that. That's actually the second time they've been here. Wow. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, they came in 08. I was at that one also. I saw them. Oh, fuck. Probably 15 years ago when Rat opened. And I got to be honest, I'm a big Rat fan. And I thought Poison was fucking great as well that night. They were great. And everything I'm hearing from people that have gone to the show with Motley Crue and Def Leppard, Poison is stealing the show. And I don't doubt it. They're fucking great lives. That was definitely, I do know, leading into Brett getting sick, that was the word. Right. That Poison was really still on the show from both Motley Crue and Def Leppard. So. And we know Crew's just not great live anymore, even though they're by far my favorite band out of those that are playing. But again, I don't give a fuck if Vince Neil is reading off a teleprompter or who gives a fuck? Just go and it's have stupid. a good time. Jesus Christ. But another thing I want to talk about before we get into today's topic is that Ozzy released this week news of a new variant of his new album, Patient Number 9, which features artwork from the great Todd McFarlane and has an alternate cover. Dan and Ryan. What were your initial thoughts of the new variant cover of Patient Number 9? It's fucking badass. And they got me. I saw it. I couldn't help myself. So now I'm going to have a second copy on vinyl coming. I got pre-ordered the Walmart and the metallic gold. It just made the most sense with the cover. It looks gorgeous. But I think this cover is just worlds better than what they went with. It's very old school, very classic. Like it just fits right in that. Like it could have been the cover in between Ultimate Sin and No Rest, I think. I wish they would have went with it from the beginning, but I guess it's just the big marketing thing they're going for. So be it. It worked. You got me. You got all three of us. I love it. I'm excited to get that and uh, bring it on. Two more months. Yeah, it's awesome. It is definitely a throwback. I love it. Between Ultimate Sin and No Rush for the Wicked, fucking perfect description. It couldn't be better. I love that Ozzy Osbourne is written in yellow with the iconic lettering. To me, his logo should always be that. And I know most fans would agree with me. You know, it's very cartoony. It definitely matches the video. But I love when Ozzy plays up his horror side. I know in the early 90s, he was kind of done with it. But I feel like more than ever, he's been really embracing it again. And I think this cover would have been a perfect fit. Maybe the font for patient number nine could have been a little different. But other than that, I just love the vibe and the variant it's way better than what they chose dildo for me also i was just like ryan there the minute i saw that fucking variation i was like fuck where's my wallet shit this is so much better than the actual album cover and the actual album cover i don't have a total beef with i think it could be better it could be worse it definitely is better than scream but i really love the new cover and the greatest thing that we always discuss on this show is i gotta be the one that brings it up is now we have wings again yeah i had wings oh, i had bad awful. wings but aside from that, I truly do 
very much enjoyed the new cover. And it may be the cover I use on my Apple playlists or something because I think this looks so much fucking cooler. I love it. Kind of also in line with Black Rain a little bit, the portrait of Ozzy. But yeah, I really dug it. And I also dug all the inserts. I thought the CD face itself looked better with the patient number nine. I prefer that font, actually. The poster looked cool. The whole packaging just looked way fucking cooler, man. I'm really excited about it. And I've talked about it on the show before, but I'm not a massive vinyl guy. I'll always buy one of Ozzy just to have it. Well, now I bought two because I couldn't resist not getting a fucking 12 by 12 of that fucking portrait, man. I was like, I got to fucking get the vinyl also. So I actually made two purchases. I did the CD, then went back and bought the vinyl because I was like, fuck, I got to have it too. But I really love it, man. I think this should be what they've ran with from the beginning also. I'm curious, and it's kind of bugged me since the initial launch of all the pre-orders. There's no indication of like what anything really looks like. Generally, you can kind of see like the inside of the gatefold. You get a back cover. They did that with the CD, and everything looks cool as hell. But I've not seen anything as far as like the LP. I don't know. I'm just curious to see kind of the inside of that. And it also comes with the comic. We've not seen like a cover for the comic or anything of the sort. So that part irks me a little bit because when you're dropping $50 for a vinyl, I kind of like seeing that. Obviously, it hasn't kept me from buying it, but I'm curious to see where this is going to go. I'm hoping we get more artwork before the release of everything. I think they will for sure. So I think we're all pretty far into buying. I know I think I bought three vinyl and two CDs so far. I'm so glad I held off on the box set because I did not buy it and I was just waiting. And now this variant came out and I'd much rather bought it on CD and vinyl. I'd much rather have the variant than the box set of the same cover. I think the nine Aussies would have been the perfect cover. I love the black background. I love the fact that Ozzy is showing nine different personalities for patient number nine. I still prefer that as the cover if that was what it was going to be instead of Ozzy in front of the gold. But this variant is a very, very nice cover as well. Yeah, I agree totally. That photo of Ozzy and the nine Aussies that they're using on all the billboards and stuff, they're using it a ton for press, but it's just not the album cover, which is kind of odd. But I'm like you, I love the nine Aussies also, the nine different personalities representing patient number nine. I thought that would have been a spectacular fucking cover also. So we've now had patient number nine now for a couple of weeks, and I do think it's getting better with every listen. I will tell you the one thing for sure that has really stood out to me, because I've been listening to Ordinary man a lot again is how much better ozzy's voice sounds on patient number nine i thought ozzy sounded very good on ordinary man but when you go back and listen you can hear him very compressed and it's almost not fuzzy but he's just not as crystal clear we're on patient number nine i think andrew watt has him fucking dialed in he sounds amazing i cannot get over the improvement on his voice from record to record the other thing that's really interesting is all of us have had a 180 on zach wilde playing on the song we are now fairly certain there are spots where we feel Zach Wilde is playing. Now, Josh and I disagree on some of them, so we're going to bring it up here. Josh, what do you think? Where and what is Zach playing? I think Zach is actually on the song quite a bit. It took a buddy of mine, James Bertrand, who we have a question for him to read later in the show, who texted me and said, man, listen to the guitar solo starting at 406. He's like, if that isn't Zach Wilde, then who the fuck is it? And me still believing Zach's not on there at that point, I go and I listen to that section. And sure enough, man, that's fucking Zach Wilde. No fucking question about it. So then I started listening closer to some of the other guitar licks throughout the song, specifically on the choruses and stuff. Those little moments like that. That's fucking Zach. It's just not prototypical Zach. It's not the Zach that we all know and love that's so commonly heard and understood. And you know, like, oh, instantly that's Zach Wilde, right? Zach took the time to serve the songs which is perfect it's exactly what we want him to do right and i realized at that point in my opinion i think all the guitar work we hear in that song that jeff beck is getting the credit for 
I make a lot of that sack wild. That said, the guitar solo, the intro, clearly that's fucking Jeff Beck on the guitar solo when it first kicks off. And this is so different, you know, <laughs> those weird noise. I mean, clearly, right. But I do think a lot of that guitar work is Zach Wild. I think Andrew Watts playing the rhythm on the beginning of the track, which has the thin tone kind of Stratocaster sounding guitar. But I think once it goes into the chorus and the pre-chorus, I think Zach comes in there. Not heavy. He's not your prototypical heavy Zach, but I think Zach's presence definitely comes in at that point. And in my opinion, they've done a beautiful job of interweaving Andrew Watt, but specifically Zach on leads and Jeff Beck on leads and interweaving those guitars together to where it sounds like one guitar. And that might explain also the massively long time it took to mix this record because they literally were taking multiple tracks of multiple players and weaving them into one coherent sounding track that sounds like a lead guitar track when actually it's multiple players what do you think ryan i agree completely once you originally sent that message to us we were all kind of like sitting going and picking apart these little pieces here and there and once you kind of self-isolate the guitar there's there's zach isms throughout not the prototypical zach isms but he's in there and more than I think any one of us anticipated, and I, I agree with you guys completely. The the mixing, the mastering, whatever length was added to that was worth it because it does sound phenomenal. Ozzy sounds infinitely better than he did on just about every track in Ordinary Man, outside of maybe Under the Graveyard, because he had a lot of moments where he just sounded older on Ordinary Man, like his age came through. And I don't hear that at all here. You know, whatever you could attribute that to, whether just his setup in general was better, he was recorded better, or just or if it was just a mix. But I love it. My only gripe, and it's not so much of a gripe, I'm settling into it now, is the riff is a little thin. And I told that's why I told you guys I, I wish it had that little bit of a gut punch. Like if you had like Tony's tone on that riff, holy shit. Granted, still a great riff, but uh, just a little thin. But otherwise, I love the song. That's 100% the Andrew Watt part of the track. And, and that's not a bash on Watt. That's just, he likes to play Stratocaster guitars a lot. Of, he plays Les Pauls also, but I think Dan agrees that that is definitely Andrew's part of the song. It has the thinner tone, which, you know, Jeff Beck plays Stratocasters also. So if you really, if you have a pounding rhythm, though, it will take away from the guitar solo if it has a thin toned guitar solo also. So it's kind of a balancing act of trying to get the right mix of the two. But I do want to piggyback what you guys said about Ozzy's voice also. He sounds phenomenal. I think Ozzy's voice just got stronger throughout the recording of Ordinary Man. And he ended it with Under the Graveyard. And he sounds phenomenal on Under the Graveyard. And I believe that Patient Number 9 is just going to be a step forward with his voice getting that much more stronger and that much more comfortable and settled in. I don't think it's a matter of production as far as how they recorded him as much as it was just Ozzy settling in and getting comfortable with it and getting his own confidence back that he can still do it. Yeah, I agree. He sounds fantastic. And you can just tell he's way more confident and comfortable. And we talk about it all the time on the show. Ozzy's at his best when he's comfortable. And you can clearly tell that he's very comfortable now with Andrew Watt. And I think it shows in the performance of the song. I think the song has gotten better. So I think Zach is playing a lot of those fills that we talked about. I think he does play maybe the end of the first solo. When you talk about that little Ben thing that he does, that's classic Zach. You and I differ a little bit if he's on the outro. He might be there in parts, but I do think the outro is mainly Jeff Beck. I could be wrong, but to me, that still sounds like Jeff Beck. It's got his vibe and feel. But overall, I could definitely hear all three of those guys playing. Andrew Watt, Jeff Beck, and Zach Wilder all over this fucking song. Yeah, and who's to say that Andrew doesn't have leads also? He wrote the fucking thing. So, I mean, he very well might have leads in there also that we're hearing. You know, we're trying to say, hey, is that Jeff Beck or is that Zach? And it could be Andrew Watt. Who fucking knows? I do hope at some point we can get some kind of a layout of that. The best way I can describe it, for those of you that have Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses, on the inside of that, it physically laid out who was playing 
playing what tracks and what time signatures. It was like uh, Richard Fortas, guitar solo one, guitar solo two was Bumblefoot and so on and so forth. It would be nice if the liner notes had something like that. I don't really anticipate that they will. So I would say this would be a debate that would be going on for 10 years from now about who's playing what parts of these solos. <laughs> that said, that outro tag on patient number nine is fucking badass, man. I love it. It is. Absolutely. I'm still a little frustrated of the edit of the video and what they're playing on local radio. I do think they fucked the edit up. I think we could have done a better edit with including the bridge. I think the bridge is classic Ozzy, man. And I think Agreed. it just needs to be in the song. All right. So that said, we're all anticipating the next single. Hopefully comes out next week. Who knows? You know, Under the Graveyard came out. And then two weeks later, we had Straight to Hell. So you never know when the next single may drop. And we think, by the way, thank you for bringing that up, Josh. That the next single is either going to be Degradation Rules by Tony Iommi or One of Those Days with Eric Clapton. Only reason I said that is Ozzy's been sending out emails and he's mentioned those two tracks on top of Patient Number 9 as standout tracks. So it wouldn't put it past me that one of those two songs will be the next single. And that is Degradation Rules with Tony Iommi and One of Those Days with Eric Clapton. Who the fuck knows? It could be Immortal because, again, that starts the vinyl, which we talked about a little bit last episode. The vinyl has got a different leadoff track from the CD. Patient number nine starts the CD. Immortal starts the vinyl, which CD and vinyls are mastered differently. So when somebody sent the track listing to one of them, we think it's probably the vinyl. It got fucked up and Immortal starts the record. Totally strange. But like you said, they do have a different master and it's just probably something that happened. And, and with the vinyl shortage, you can't just go back and fix that shit either. Fuck it. You know, just press them and send them on. At least it makes it something collectible and fun for us. But, you know, that is what it is. But I will say, as far as the next singles go, like you said, typically when an artist points out specific songs in pressings, and by pressings, I mean advertisements and promotionals. Those typically are going to be your singles, and he does call out those too. The weird part is the Tony Iommi track that we've all heard so much about from is No Escape From Now. So if they end up releasing Degradation Rules as the single, that would definitely be a hiccup in what we all expected. But at the same time, I think we all are ready for the Tony Iommi tracks, man. I think we're all so excited about that. It's going to be so fucking great to hear Tony mixed with Zach Wilde in there, man. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait for more information to come out because it still boggles my mind that Dead and Gone and God Only Knows has no information next to it. And their tracks 11 and 12, I still think they're going to be considered bonus tracks. And the official album ends with Degradation Rules, which would be track 10. That's my gut feeling, but we'll find out. And of course, Dark Side Blues as well, which we all think is going to be the exact same version. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's going to be the version that was on the Japanese release of Ordinary Man. We'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully they've added to it or expanded on it something. We'll see. But in the meantime, while we await the new single, we're going to answer your guys' questions and comments. Dan and Ryan. Ryan, I know you have to leave shortly, but you're going to hang with us for a while until you can, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here. Good deal. You guys ready to get at these? Let's do it. And thank you for everybody who really poured out a lot of questions. This is super exciting, and we just love the interaction with our listeners. All right. I'll go first. Unfortunately, Ryan does not have a copy of these questions, so Dan and I will have to read them. He's fucked. I can't read anyways. <laughs> so we're going to start off with our friend Justin on Instagram. Say, what would each of you pick as the absolute best one-two punch that's actually on an Aussie solo record? And what would be the best one-two punch if we could choose any two songs out of order? That's a pretty good question. Dan and I and Ryan discuss this kind of shit all the time. Like sequencing of an album is actually a huge fucking deal. It's something that people kind of don't think about or overlook, but it really can make or break a record if it's sequenced correctly. That said, 
my favorite one-two punch, I, I'm not going to go opener to second track, but I love, I think I can speak for all the guys. When you lead from Revelation Mother Earth into Still Away the Night, it's just fucking magic. It's absolutely magic. I don't know what they could do any better than that for those two tracks. That is a great choice, Josh. And I just want to let the listeners know we are really riffing off of these questions. We wanted to be honest and open and give a real true answer instead of a canned answer and canned bullshit. We're real on this show, and that's something we're both passionate about. Thank you, Dan, for mentioning that because I did forget to preface that, that we are. Matter of fact, I type these questions out for all of us, but other than typing them, we've not read them. (laughs) So no thoughts been put into these answers. We're probably going to be wrong on half of it. That's That's right. So for me personally, I love that answer, Josh. I think that's a great fucking answer, but I'm going to just go one album later and go the opening of Diary of a Madman with Over the Mountain. Sorry, Ryan. I know you don't like that song very well. Over the Mountain into Flying High Again, I think is a fucking brilliant one-two punch and it doesn't get any better than that. Or you could even go S-A-T-O into into, uh, Diary, which is pretty fucking spectacular too. I agree fully. Let me just say and save some face here. It's not that I don't like Over the Mountain. It just doesn't have the cachet with me that it does with the whatever the man you don't like it whatever we know you hate whatever. that song it's, it's all just right. you prefer fucking it's a raid over over the mountain just go ahead and admit it <laughs> it's it's only the best drum intro and one of the best guitar solos and greatest melodies of all time but other than that it's just not that great yeah exactly thank you fuckers but i will piggyback what you just said also in that one album later, I'm going to go S-A-T-O into Diary. I always fucking love that fade out into that acoustic intro. I remember hearing it for the first time as a kid. And it, was, it just blew me the fuck away. And it still does. Like It's the first time I ever heard it every single time I do it. So as far as like in order, one-two punch, S-A-T-O into Diary is just magnificent. You know what's really interesting about that, and it is fucking brilliant, is as a guitar player that Josh and I are, Blizzard of Oz is recorded in standard E 440 tuning, and Diary of Mad Men is tuned to E flat. The interesting thing is this, the only song on Diary that tuned to E is S-A-T-O. So when S-A-T-O is blending into Diary, S-A-T-O is tuned to E and Diary is tuned to E flat. So it's really cool that they blend so fucking well together, but that's the only song off Diary that is not tuned to E flat is S-A-T-O. Just a little fact. Whatever you say, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's very interesting. And, you know, it takes playing guitar to understand the difference in tone. It's drastic. Just the other day, I tuned my acoustic down, and it's usually I keep it in E, and I tuned it to E flat, and I swear it's just so different, man. It's like a whole different world. Just going down that half step, it's amazing. I'm always in E flat. Always. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to start doing the same, and then just capo one on one if I want to play in standard and just be done with it. But that's what I do. It's one of the things I appreciate the most about you guys, despite not being musical in any stretch of the imagination. I fucking love hearing you guys break down like keys and tuning, whatever this is in it. Like it's cool as hell. I don't know what you're talking about, but it's cool as shit. Well, that's why you think we know what we're talking about because you don't know what you're talking about because really we're full of shit. We have no fucking clue what we're talking about. We're pulling it right out of our ass. That's right. Um, so as far as a one-two combination of songs out of order, do any pop out that you would like to hear back-to-back that maybe wasn't on the album, but you think could have been sequenced better? I'm going to go Bark of the Moon, should have led into Rock and Roll Rebel. I always thought You're No Different was a weird track, too. I think it'd be a much better track three. Yeah, just a little bit of rearranging there, and I think that it just would have been like riff, riff, just kick you in the nuts. Um, that would have been my switch-up one-two that I would have loved to have seen. Yeah, yeah great I call. Think- 
Yeah, You're No Different, as much as I love it, is a strange song to do on a record. Bark of the Moon into Rock and Roll Rebel would have been fucking stellar. Yeah, That's absolutely. Something. Next up, we have from Chad Fisher on Facebook, and I love this fucking question. I wonder what the failed collaboration with Steve Vai would have been like. Have you two ever heard any details or any music from it? So I can speak a little bit to this one. So I'm going to talk about the obvious one, which is My Little Man from Osmosis. That was written and recorded for X-Ray, which is the band name. That It was Ozzy, Steve I, Bob Daisley, and our amazing man, Dean Castronovo. That was the band. And that was recorded and done before Osmosis. So 93, 94 era. They did, how many songs did Steve I say? About 15 songs. They finished. And for some reason, the record labels wouldn't let them release it. So here's some cool information though, just so you guys know. So we have My Little Man, which is obviously a great ballad from Osmosis. There is another song that Ozzy references a lot called On a Roll Again. And he recorded it in 1999 for a solo record as well. That still remains unreleased to this day. And he talks about that one a lot. So that's a song title from the X-Ray Sessions that he wrote with Steve I called On a Roll Again. But the really interesting thing is Steve I has released two songs that he wrote from those sessions as instrumentals. So I'm going to tell you guys what the songs are so you can go give a listen and it'll give you a little bit of a vibe what maybe some of these tracks sounded like. The first one is from his EP Alien Love Secrets and the song is called Kill the Guy with the Ball. And that was written with Ozzy and Bob Daisley during the X-Ray Sessions. The other one is from his album Fire Garden, and that is called Dying Day. And that was also written with Ozzy for the X-Ray Sessions. So take a second, listen to those two songs from Steve Vai, and that'll also give you a vibe, along with My Little Man, what that record would have sounded like. I think it would have been amazing, and someday we hope it will be released. We all can only dream about hearing the X-Ray Sessions. And I do want to give my man Kyle Castronovo a shout out. He's a listener to the show. He is Dean Castronovo's son. And Kyle is the fucking man. Go add him on Instagram. He played drums for Murder Dolls, and he's a cool cat. And Kyle and I have actually had a lot of conversations about X-Ray because I was praying that he had a copy and would share it with me, or at least like let me hear it over the phone or some shit. <laughs> because his dad, Dean, plays on it and helped co-write the songs. I mean, he was in the room, you know, and unfortunately, even Kyle hasn't heard X-Ray. So it appears that there's very, very, very few copies of that floating around. I do know Steve I has mentioned it recently, that it's great stuff, and he wishes Sharon would release it. So he kind of put it on her in her lap. But uh, definitely something that we all would die to hear. And honestly, of all the unreleased Aussie material, I think the X-Ray Sessions are the top of my list of what I'd like to hear. No question about that. I agree completely. I, I don't have much to add to the Steve Vai part because we've, we've all listened to those inter- instrumentals. And all you can do is hear Ozzy's voice in there somewhere. And you know, God damn, it would be great. But whether people realize or not who are listening, Ozzy was just as active in the recording studio in the 90s than he was in the 80s. More. But yeah, we only got No More Tears and we got Osmosis, but yeah, the entire collaboration and recording with Steve Vai, you had an entire the Ozzy Lad album right in that mix. They were writing and recording in 99 that kind of just fell apart. Yeah, that album was called I Did It All Because of You. Yes. And it just stuff that we'll probably never ever see and never ever hear, but that man was active. And whatever held all those things up i don't know i have to imagine a lot of that was just endless touring ozfest sabbath reunions and everything just kind of got upended by bigger paycheck um towards other things but goddamn like there's so much out there that well, i don't know hopefully one day for some reason things surface and don't forget there was so much recorded during the osmosis session that that could have been a second album as well 
on top of everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to throw in there also from our man, Kyle, who uh, is so gracious to reach out and talk to us about this stuff. He sent us a ton of photos, just for me and Dan and Ryan to look at, of the x-ray sessions of his dad and Steve Vai and Ozzy and Bob Daisley in a room jamming. And they're just personal private photos. And I'm sorry we can't share them on our socials. I shouldn't really even bring it up, really, but we're kind of humble bragging. But it's cool to see shit like that. And we do appreciate you, Kyle, for doing that. And maybe one day you'll come across that damn CD somewhere and uh, you can share it with us. <laughs> And, and to be fair to Kyle, he's told me himself he really wants to fucking hear it too. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But this is definitely the kind of conversations that Dan and Ryan and I like to have. Like, we get off on this kind of shit. Maybe somebody should hit us up about Aussie Land. Who knows? Maybe we've heard it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So, turns your body to a corpse on Twitter, says, Hi, friends. With what we know through the years, autobiographical books, interviews, and official material, do you think Ozzy could handle the Bob Lee situation better? It's hard to put Sharon aside, but do you think Ozzy himself could have done something different? To be totally honest, this is a topic that Dan and I avoid at all costs, but we're not afraid to discuss it either. We just don't feel the need to bring it up. There's no question a lot of things could have been done different. No fucking question. No one denies that replacing the tracks was completely fucking bullshit and ridiculous, including Ozzy himself has said on record that was ridiculous and bullshit. That said, you're asking Ozzy himself and not Sharon. I think there is a point where Ozzy could put his foot down and say, I'm not fucking going for this shit, this bullshit. I'm not doing it. I don't know the conversations they had about that and how that came about. You know, I simply don't know. But I think that was the point where it really got ridiculous. I will say the part that really has always bummed me out as a fan of both. I'm speaking of Bob and, and Ozzy because this is coming from their books and so on and so forth. But Bob and Ozzy both in their autobiographies said they missed each other and i really hate that i think they really truly got along as friends and unfortunately they're not allowed to be friends anymore and the world just doesn't allow that and it's sad because i think they truly miss each other i am 100 percent of the mind that like as guys they would have talked shook hands had a beer talked their shit out and i truly believe that bob daisley would still be riding with ozzy today Based on what the things that they've said over the years, you know, money comes between and things happen and, you know, Sharon doing what she's done. I just genuinely believe that these two guys that would sit down, shake hands and work it out and they would happily still be doing their thing together. And laugh about the old times, right? Yeah, 100%. Stories and shit, right? So make no mistake about it. The biggest atrocity in Ozzy Osbourne's career is replacing Bob and Lee on the two greatest albums ever released. That's a fact. And it breaks my heart that they did it. But to the Osbournes' credit, I know you'll flame me for this, but they fucking realized the massive fucking mistake they made, and they deleted those from the catalog. So when people talk about that, let's just make sure we talk about the facts. They fucked up, made the biggest mistake of their career. They did then remove those from the catalog. You cannot buy those. You don't hear those. Those versions of those songs are gone. Everything we hear now is back with Bob and Lee where they should be. I am brokenhearted that Bob doesn't still collaborate with Ozzy. And like Josh said, the end of Bob's book, he said, I just miss my friend. They were very close and it breaks my heart that they're not even hanging. I mean, Lee and Randy obviously are both gone and they are the two that are really left from the band that made the two greatest records of all time. So it would be amazing if they could work together again or even just bury the hatchet and hang out and just relive the old times. For their sake, that is really what needs to happen. But from what could Ozzy have done? I do think there's one thing that Ozzy's pretty bright about, and that is, do I piss off my wife or do I piss off Bob and Lee? 
and we know what choice and road he took. But, you know, and to be honest, Sharon's job is to keep Ozzy relevant. Her priority is not Bob Daisley. Her priority is Ozzy Osbourne. And she does what, in her mind, is always his best interest. No doubt replacing the tracks was spiteful, and that was a bad decision. But like you said, that has been redeemed and fixed, right? With the quality master, by the way. Those remasters were amazing. That was obviously the tipping point. I, I do wish Ozzy would have spoke out a little more about it. Also, like, you know, I hated the part when Lee Kerslake was dying, and all he wanted was his platinum records and such. And the Osbournes did that. They got him to him within a week, I and mean, it was no time later he had it. But he should have had it 40 years ago. And I think we all agree with that also. You know, give people their due diligence, and those guys played on and helped write those records they should have had those little moments sooner than that you know life goes on and i guess they just kind of moved on without them but it is what it is ozzy is the star and we've talked about this a lot on this show i don't care if the band was called ozzy osbourne or blizzard of oz it is blizzard of oz and i think bob and lee lost sight of that ozzy was the star ozzy was the popular guy from black sabbath and this young shining guitar player of randy rhodes and i think bob and lee just they got unfortunately put in a shadow a little bit behind ozzy and randy and i'm sure it pissed them off because they put a lot of fucking effort and their legwork was instrumental to making those records great again i'm going to be perfectly clear i'm not degradating their contribution what i'm degrading is the fact that all the talk was about ozzy and randy randy was getting the best new guitar player awards randy was the hot shot randy was the new guitar god and you had ozzy so unfortunately bob and lee just didn't get that love and i think it pissed them off rightfully so and i think that also went to ozzy's head a little bit and sharon's head more importantly that they probably didn't need them because ozzy and randy were the stars I agree 100%. And Randy came from, you know, obscurity. He was in a local band. The band ended up being Quiet Riot, but in 1979, it's a local Hollywood strip scene, and that was it. And, you know, so Randy comes from obscurity, and they make history together. And like you said, maybe the others feel left out. That's, you know, that's all beyond us. But a good question, and we do appreciate you bringing it up. It's not something we discuss much on the show because we try to look at the brighter side of it, and we want everyone to just get along. Agreed. And we we definitely want to always love and bring the love of what Bob and Lee contributed because we are huge fans. Bob Daisley, to me, not only is a great lyric writer, but maybe about the best bass player there is. And his bass playing is sorely overlooked in the Ozzy catalog. I was going to say, and one of the most underrated bass players yeah. in hard rock history. No fucking question. He's melodic as shit. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey, Ryan, do you care to read the next one? <laughs> All right, here's the question I've been dying to get to, everybody, from Simon Main on Facebook. Who would win a quiz about Ozzy between Dan Drago and Josh Crum? All right, we're going to go around the room. This is easy. It's easy. Of course I would. Shit. Not even close. It would be easy. Blindfolded. Here's the truth. I think think Josh and I are great partners. It would be Ryan Beavers, wouldn't it? (laughs) It could be. Um... The funny thing is, we complement each other so well. 100%. Yeah, I might know a little bit more of the details on some recordings and stuff, and Josh would kick my ass when it comes to live settings and bootlegs, and no question, he is the Randy Rhodes freak, and he can definitely bury me when it comes to Randy. But I think maybe my strengths lie more on my memory 
because Josh is getting old, you know, right. even though they call me the old one. But that is on, my answer. <laughs> on some of the uh, recordings and facts and silly little yeah. things like that. But listen, I love this guy as a partner and we fucking are just the perfect team. Thank you for that. And I do agree. I think that actually is the perfect answer. We just offset each other and compliment each other. You have a much better quick recall than I do. I struggle with my memory in life, people. I'm sorry. I just, my wife could tell you it's a struggle for me to remember to do any fucking thing. So Dan's quick recall is definitely better than mine. So I definitely give him the edge on that. And like you said, dates and and recordings, I think Dan's got me there. I think you nailed it, man. Live settings, Randy Rhodes. I do think that's where I prevail a little bit. Ryan, where would you put me and Dan as a competition against each other? Be honest. I mean, I, it's okay. Oh, I mean, I, I think you guys both nailed it, but yeah, Dan's recall is pretty unmatched. And I'd always describe you guys, Dan's the play by play and Josh is the color commentator. And it just, it's that, it's that perfect duo that makes you guys work. Who knows more? I, you know, there's no way of knowing that, but yeah, Dan's got a recall of like someone who's read the Bible every week for the last 40 years. So I guess if I have to pick, I'm going to give the edge to Dan. In all honesty, I give the edge to Dan also. And it, and, not only recall, but you know, I think we all know about all there is to fucking know. But one thing we do, all three of us, we bounce it off each other all the fucking time. It's every day that we're on there asking, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it, one of us, the three of us will recall it every time. But Dan definitely has a massively good recall. There's no question about that. So if we were doing like a trivia question, trivia game, he would definitely beat me on the buzzer. There's no question there. <laughs> I do want to bring something up, though. It'll be quick. It's about Metallica. Last night, they had that parking lot show quiz about Metallica. Did you guys watch that at all? It was on Access TV. It's no, a new show. My TV. Yeah. Well, they, they're quizzing Metallica fans about Metallica and giving them money. It was actually a really fucking cool show. It was right up my alley. And I only missed one question. I was pissed off. I missed it. But they pissed me off because they had a wrong answer. And the question was this. What was the first album Robert Trujillo played on with Metallica? That's Saint Anger. Not Saint Anger, but uh, uh, one after Saint Anger. Yeah, it was Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic. Yeah, I can't think the name of it. See my quick recall. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. I knew I could see the fucking album cover in my head. I couldn't remember the name of the fucking record. And the contestant said Saint Anger, and they gave it to him like he was right, and I was fucking pissed. It was Bob Rock, and Mm -hmm. it made me fucking mad. Like, if you're gonna do a goddamn quiz show, get your fucking answers right, people. Jesus Christ. I enjoy me some Metallica, but I am. By no means an aficionado, and I knew that. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rob Trio did play the tracks live, though, on the DVD, right? He did. Yeah, he did. So, but, but still, that's, that's not, if you're that's listening to question. Frantic, that's Bob Rock. Right. 100%. So the next question, also from our man Simon Mayne on Facebook, he asked us a couple here. Simon's a good listener, and he likes to comment on our shit. So he gets all his questions read. So if you yep. guys want to comment on our shit, you'll get all your questions read also because we like commenting. Yep. Take a cue from Simon. Absolutely. If you were making a pod about a subject other than the great double O himself, what would it be about? That's fucking easy. Horror movies. We all three have a fucking passion, not just for Ozzy, but for fucking horror movies. And we could talk some fucking Halloween with you all night long, as well as Texas Chancellor Massacre or Friday the 13th or whatever the fuck you want it to be. Evil Dead. All of them. Evil Dead. I would say we probably talk Ozzy 70% of the time and 30% of the time it's horror movies. It's a huge passion of all three of us. It's kind of crazy. We're all into wrestling. We're all into a lot of the same shit, but uh, horror movies for sure. That was my answer to Josh. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with that but, but at all. I mean, you hit it. That's our conversation. That's us in a nutshell. And if there weren't so many uh, 
horror podcast as it was, I'd say let's do it. But uh, there's already hard enough for all of us to find time doing what we do with this one. So yeah, I gotta say, you know, like when we hear a new Aussie track, you know, when the new single drops, we're gonna be calling each other that fucking night and, and discussing it within minutes. I mean, literally after the listen, we're gonna call each other and discuss it. But we're the same way. When Halloween Kills came out, we all three saw it on different days. I saw it on opening night. If my memory serves, Ryan saw it the next night and Dan saw it the third night. Right. And we had to fucking wait three days to discuss it. And it was fucking killing all three yeah, of us. I was out of town, <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> we wanted to go yeah. discuss it like right then and we could. It's like, damn it, because we have the same passion for that stuff. Obviously, not quite to that extent. We really like discussing all those kind of things together. So I think horror movies is definitely the, the answer there. Maybe it'll happen someday for sure. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next question from Simon is, apart from Ozzy or Randy, which Ozzy-related person would you most like to interview? Why and what would you ask? So I'm That's not easy. sure. If, it's a great question. And I'm not sure if I'll go down to what would you ask, because hopefully someday we'll have these guests. But there are two that jump out at me. There's two. Yeah. Yeah. Two I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to step on you, but there's definitely two. Yeah, and that is Tony Iommi and Zach Wild. Those two. Oh, would be, your two yeah. are different than mine. <laughs> yeah, those would be my two. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Tony Iommi Not, and Zach Wild. Okay, mine is Tony Iommi and Sharon Osbourne. Wow, I don't. I, I don't even count Sharon. I Osborne. would fucking love to have Sharon on this. Can you imagine getting her on this show to see her talk this shit with us? Yeah, but I just don't ever. Even she's one incorrect happening. a lot with her information, but and we'd have to fucking call her out on it. But still, it's like no, dude, getting Sharon on would be huge. That and would of course, be great. Jack Wilds right there too. That, that yeah. those are the three though for sure. That would be like there's a tier of Ozzy would be obviously the greatest thing ever, right? And then Tony Iommi and, and Sharon and Zach's right there. Then there's kind of everybody else. I hate yeah. to say that, but that's just you know well, Jakey Lee would be fucking crazy too. Jake would be great too. So for me and Josh, we talk about this a lot. We're kind of oddballs. I really want Tim Palmer. I want Kevin Churko. I would love to have Andrew fucking Watt. He would be maybe right now my number one choice. So we like the producers, the guys that are we really do. heavily involved in the making of the fucking music. So we're kind of a little bit of oddballs when it comes to that. You know, it's been a year. I'm going to throw something out there to the listeners. Tim Palmer produced Down to Earth, and he's a friend of the show. He's been telling us for a year he's going to come on the show. Reach out to him on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and let him know it's time that he gets on Diary of the Mad Men and discusses Down to Earth with the listeners because right. he's been promising to do it for a year. And I want to be clear. I 100% know he will do it at some point. He's extremely friendly. Extremely be nice friendly. about it. So be cool about it. Yeah. But he's always like, man, I just, he still works a lot. And he, he just did the new Duran Duran record. It debuted at number one. So he's still a very busy guy. And he's always responds and is like, yes, this is going to happen. Just, we just got to carve out the time. And it's been a year now. This is our one year anniversary episode. And I think I reached out to him literally after episode two. Yep. So uh, if, if you're out there and you follow Tim Palmer, give him a little nudge and let him know that you're anxious to hear him on our show because we would love to discuss him down to earth. Imagine if we can get him on the show. Yeah. And discuss Joe Holmes' contributions on that record. That'd be a lot of fun. That's the shit we want to talk about. That's why we really don't talk Diary and Blizzard as much, because all that information is out there. That's why we're so heavily osmosis, or we're so heavily 21st century Aussie, because it's not really being covered. And what a great concept it would be to sit down and really have an hour conversation with Tim Palmer about the making of Down to Fucking Earth. It would right. be amazing because there's so many unreleased tracks. Ozzy brought, you know, they always talk about the Dave Grohl tracks. The Dave Grohl track. The yeah. Offspring guys. So I would just love to have a conversation with Tim Palmer. He's way up on the list. He's way up on the list. And that's also why, like when we said earlier, we didn't mention Bob Daisley. Of course, we would love to have Bob Daisley on the show. But Bob does a lot of interviews. It's hard to get different information, whereas Dan and I really enjoy the behind-the-scenes information of stuff that, that maybe you've never heard before. And typically producers, engineers, people like that are the ones that can kind of give you those stories. All right. So the next question again from our man, Simon Main. 
do you know if there are any studio recordings of demos featuring Joe Holmes? Well, that's interesting fucking timing after we just sit here and discuss Tim Palmer and Joe Holmes and Down to Earth for the past five minutes. I do not know that there is. We do know that Joe Holmes co-wrote three tracks on Down to Earth. He co-wrote Junkie, That I Never Had, and Can You Hear Them? I would fucking love to hear the Joe Holmes versions of those fucking songs. No question. I'm a big fan of Joe Holmes. His Pharmacost record was fucking stellar. One thing, Simon, I can tell you, if you go listen to his record Pharmacost, which does have Robert Trujillo on bass also, those are songs that he and Rob wrote for Ozzy's next record. So that entire record could have been an Ozzy album, and it's fucking smoking guitar playing. I'll tell you that. It's a different sound, but I think Ozzy would have really fucking been good with it. The way I always heard the story was that once Ozzy came back from the Black Sabbath reunion, Rob and Joe had these tracks laid out for a new record and Ozzy kind of wanted to start fresh. And that's when they started doing the down to earth stuff. So I would 100% assume there is demos of Joe Holmes with Ozzy for sure. But I've never heard that for a fact. We'll see you, Dan. I'm going to say, I mean, we have to know that there's demos of the three songs he wrote for down to earth. I mean, those exist because I'm sure they gave those to Zach to learn. Right. I mean, it just makes sense. So outside of those, I I don't think he sang on the Pharmaco stuff. No, like I, I, agree I with don't that, think totally. there's demos of Ozzy singing on the stuff from Pharmacos, which was highly disappointing. Yes. We thought maybe there was another bunch of information with Joe playing because we're big fans of Joe here. But I think probably just the songs on Down to Earth would be the Ozzy demos. Yeah, I agree. One yeah. thing I want to throw out there also, since we're discussing Joe Holmes and demos and Tim Palmer, I did ask Tim Palmer once on social media because I love the solo for Junkie. And I just think it sounds so different. It's not typical Zach Wilde at all. And I asked him if that was Joe's solo and Zach just replicated it or if Zach wrote that solo. And he said that Zach Wilde did indeed write that solo. So if there is a demo for Junkie, then the guitar solo would be different because that was Zach's solo completely in full. And Tim also agreed that it was fucking phenomenal and, and maybe his favorite solo of the session also. All right. Up next, we have JBL Cena fan two on Twitter. What is the benefit of hiding who wrote what when clearly people want to see Ozzy and Arena's and Jake or Bob or whoever in a bar or club. They don't deny Lemmy wrote stuff. Why be so mysterious in the early days and not so much now? So this is a great question. And let's be perfectly clear. Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake obviously got writing credit for the records that they were on. They didn't get performance credits. That's what pissed them off. But they got writing credit on Diary of a Madman and Blizzard of Oz. The issue that everybody brings up is Bark at the Moon. So I'm going to be very crystal clear on the Bark at the Moon album. Bob Daisley was pissed off because he was not getting paid from the first two records. So he took what was called a buyout. And what a buyout is, is he's going to get a lump sum. Ozzy basically bought his rights to write the record. And he advised Jake to do the same thing. So Jake took a buyout, was unhappy with that result. So when the ultimate sin came, he clearly wanted to have his rights on the material, which he got. So the only album that you can really claim that people are not getting writing credit for is Bark at the Moon. If you look at No Rest for the Wicked, there's five or six writers, No More Tears. His whole career, there's tons of writing credits everywhere. The only question is Bark at the Moon album. And Bob and Jake, who wrote the record with Ozzy, sold their rights to Ozzy and Sharon in a lump sum payment. Read Bob's book. He goes into an explicit detail. So that is the reason why they don't give credit. I don't think Ozzy and... Sharon are hiding anything. That was just a business deal that was made. And for them to come out and say anything is I'm sure they don't want to open up themselves for a lawsuit for any other monies or any other bullshit, even though I'm sure they have their legal documents. So that is the reason. Ryan, what do you say? You pretty much laid it out. Now we've talked about this pretty extensively over the years, the three of us, and maybe we 
land in different areas and how we how we look at it but in the end it's 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 what they sign it's what they agreed to as far as the yeah, performance royalties from daisley and, and curse like on diary that i don't understand that whole debacle and why you'd have different pictures and the albums and all of that that's remains to be seen as far as why they actually did that I, I i don't know only makes sense that it was just a financial decision and they kind of got the raw deal of it when it's broke down like that they made the decision they sold the rights and here we are looking at it it's funny when you look see lyrics and music by ozzy osbourne and we all know he doesn't write music in that context is kind of silly to look at but i imagine back then nobody knew so you saw that and you're like oh holy shit fast forward 20 30 almost 40 years now and it looks a little ridiculous but those were the days and also they handled that stuff differently the 70s the 80s the whole music scene was just a kind of a cesspool of weird financial shit yeah there's not a whole lot a person could add to what dan's already said he's laid it out there perfectly but i will say to add to what ryan's saying it's funny how no one bitches that geezer butler's pictured inside of no rest of the wicked that's bob right. basley yeah you open it up there's geezer butler no one bitches about that what's the fucking difference True. What's the difference between that or Diary of Mammon? There's no different. Unfortunately for Jake and Bob, they made their bed. They have to lie in it with the Bark of the Moon session. You know, it is what it is. They didn't mind that payout when they fucking got it. And I'm sure it was quite a handsome sum of money at the time. Unfortunately, over the course of 40 years, they lost a lot of money with that decision. But it was a decision that was made. No one was ripped off there. There's the whole, well, they were, Jake was strong-armed and they threatened that, you know, someone re-record his parts or whatever. Maybe. Who knows? We weren't there for that conversation. There's no proof that, of that either. You know, there's no proof of that. They didn't do it to Randy and they didn't do it to Zach. So I don't know why they would do it to Jake. Right. And Jake's always said, I don't want the money. I just want my name on there. But let's just be fucking honest. If they re-release that record and put Jake's name on there as a songwriter, here comes the fucking lawsuit. Bank on it. Bank on it. He'll probably lose it, but they'll try. And I think Ozzy and Sharon are just over-fucking-dealing with it. Unfortunately, they made a decision to, to take that buyout, and it probably was the wrong decision, but it was a decision that was made. And we all know the famous quote where Ozzy says he wrote the whole album with one finger on a piano. I mean, Ozzy couldn't be more fucking just pulling shit out of his ass. He's being funny. Does anybody really believe Ozzy wrote Bark at the Moon with one finger on a piano? Give me a fucking break. Okay, so this leads us to the next question, also from JBL Cinefin. I do want to throw out there to the listeners. My kids are in the other room fucking screaming right now, so if you can hear that in the background, I apologize. Just deal with it. So, JBL Cinefan2 on Twitter also says, Ozzy says things like Black Sabbath is the first song he wrote. Did he actually write any major Sabbath songs, or is that a mystery too? JBL Cinefan, I know you listen to this show quite a bit because you're pretty good to chime in with us on Twitter. Ozzy writes a lot. <laughs> we discussed that a lot on this show. Ozzy's wrote a lot with Black Sabbath. Ozzy wrote the song Black Sabbath. Yeah, the answer to that is definitely yes. Uh, you know, it's a big misconception among fans. I know it's definitely an irking point for Dan. Ozzy Osbourne wrote Black Sabbath, not Geezer Butler. He wrote it about Geezer's experience of a dream he had. Ozzy wrote The Writ from Sabotage. I mean, there's some classic Black Sabbath songs, epic style Black Sabbath songs that Ozzy did indeed write the lyrics to or had a heavy hand in writing a lot of the lyrics to. So even Geezer himself in interviews, I reference this all the time, has said, I watched an interview with Geezer for one of the in-the-studio jobs, and they said, well, something about Ozzy that fans may not know. And Geezer said Ozzy writes a lot more than he gets credit for, and I feel like that's getting overlooked these days. And I, I appreciate him saying that so much because this is coming from the guy that writes with him on all these lyrics, and he's admitting that, yeah, Ozzy does do a lot more of the writing than he realizes. Ozzy wrote Fairies Wear Boots. The answer to that very simply is that Ozzy has indeed wrote a lot of the major Sabbath songs. Yeah, obviously, we believe Ozzy wrote every melody that he sings, 
The only one that I think is in question is Over to You off of Never Say Die. Bill Ward, I believe, wrote that melody. But everything else, Ozzy has written the melodies. Now, I know you guys online all roll your eyes when people talk about the melodies. But let me tell you guys, and I've been writing songs for 30 years. Josh has written songs a long time. The melody is not only the hardest thing to write, it is the most important thing to write. Because if you don't walk away with a song that is hummable or singable or that is catchy and sticks in your head, you don't really have a successful song. Over and over and over again, Ozzy is written with Tony Iommi, Randy Rhodes, Jakey Lee, Zach Wilde, Jim Valance, Andrew Watt. I could go on and on and on. And what is the main thing in common? It's Ozzy fucking Osbourne. And it's his melodies. That's why Ozzy sounds like Ozzy. His melodies are one of a kind. He contributes more to the lyrics than people give him credit. A lot of the times he's riffing off the top of his head. And then Bob and Geezer would go back and have to match those syllable by syllable exactly to his melody. You know, listen to something like Killing Yourself to Live off of Live at Last. That is Ozzy's lyrics before Geezer gets a hold of him. I think the, the, the Ozzy lore gets kind of, you know, misrepresented in like little blips and like one-liners or like little couple sentences that people read and they kind of just run with it. And it becomes like this nowadays, this internet legend that he's just laying on a couch in the back and everyone's just making something happen. He somehow lucked into being a guy on the charts, filling arenas for 50 years without contributing majorly is just a ridiculous thought. And I've always thought the Black Sabbath standpoint, when you look back on like royalties, lawsuits and blah, 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 it's a brilliant move. And I assume they did this collectively as a band. I think it's every track, at least in the first nine albums, that every single one of them gets a credit outside of the instrumentals that go to Tony. It's brilliant how not a whole lot of bands do that. Rammstein is one of those bands that does that. Like every member, their name is right there, front and center. They were there. They put their note on it. You know, and it, there's just there's no discrepancy. And obviously, when things go go solo and things are going to change naturally. Yeah, I'm w- with Dan in the camp that just gets really irked that Ozzy is somehow not some major contributing factor. And maybe he doesn't play the role quite like a Tony Iommi. Obviously, he's not sitting in the studio for hours on end, days on end. The guy does his stuff. And if you listen enough, you read enough from various band members, producers over the years, the guy does his part and he does it brilliantly. And another thing, people always want to say the Ozzy rips off Tony Iommi's riffs. For one, that's only happened on a couple of tracks. Very few. And two, on some of those tracks, Tony has admitted he ripped off Ozzy's melody. So actually, I think Electric Funeral is one where Tony heard Ozzy's melody and then wrote to the melody. So fuck off. Dear Father, too. Dear Father is another great example. All right. Next up from JBL Cinefan 2. What is the deal with Live Evil and Speak of the Devil coming out around the same time? Who was behind the timing? Any dirt there? So obviously, Black Sabbath had never had a professional live record released. So I believe that they always had the intent of releasing a live record with Dio. I don't think there was any evil intent between the two parties. I think personally, there isn't any dirt between those two records. I think it was really to combat live at last, which the band did not support at all. It was released by NEMS and did not have the support of the band and it sold exceptionally well. And I think really that's the story there. Yeah, exactly. That's all it was. Live at last was released, you know, without the band's consent, and they both wanted to combat that and do their own versions of those songs to try to win back those album sales. Because, like Dan said, it did sell well. 
I, for one, am extremely grateful because I fucking love Speak of the Devil, as I know Dan does also. So I wouldn't change any fucking thing about it. Live Evil, you can keep that shit. I don't give a fuck. I'll say it to anybody. Yeah, fucking uh, awful. I will say this too, and my last was released by Patrick Meehan, which is even fucking worse. That was like a dagger in those guys. I bet you that's one thing that probably united the boys after Ozzy left was like, fuck Patrick Meehan. Yeah. No way. Shit. Absolutely. So yeah, we're definitely thankful for it. And you know, as we know, speak of the devil was going to be recorded. Randy Rhodes reluctantly had agreed to record that record. So had he not passed, it would have been Randy Rhodes on there. But that said, Brad Gillis fucking destroyed that record is great. I wouldn't change speak of the devil at all. Nope. Speak of the devil is, is fucking gorgeous. One more from JBL Cena fan Two. What was the deal with the Ten Commandments? Hard to find, just kind of there and gone, never reprinted. Well, that's what it was. It was, it was the limited time only greatest hits album released. I want to say 1987. Does that sound right, guys? No, 90. Was that 90? Really? Yeah. But yeah, it's just the greatest hits album. That's actually the first Aussie record I can remember. My brother had a copy of that on cassette, and I remember listening to it. And that's definitely where I heard Crazy Train for the first time. But yeah, that's just all it was. It was just a limited time only release, and they kept to their word on that. And it's kind of a rarity to find now. They're usually about 50 bucks on eBay if you can find one. I have it on CD. I even kept, remember the big long cardboard boxes that the CDs would yes. come in? Yeah, I, I kept mine for Ten Commandments because I knew it was going to be rare. It was a limited release done by CBS Records and Priority Records. So up next, my buddy Wes Ray, who I went to school with, Pipeville High School, class of 98, and horror fan extraordinaire. He can tell you anything you want to fucking. If we did a horror podcast, Wes would be a fucking co-host. He fucking knows everything. He says, if you could go back in time and convince a 70s or 80s horror movie director to use an Aussie Black Sabbath song in one of their movies, what horror movie, what song, and what scene would you use it? Of course, he asked me a fucking horror movie fucking question because that's Wes Ray. But, you know, off the top of my head, I'd like to hear the song Black Sabbath. In The Exorcist, that'd be kind of cool, right? Yeah, that would have been awesome. How about Bark at the Moon and American Marvel from London? Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. That'd be fun. Ryan, anything come to mind real quick? I swear on my children, my answer was going to be Dan's. <laughs> I've not seen these questions. I had no clue it was coming. It was the first thing that came to me. I was just watching American Werewolf maybe six months ago. Awesome. I, I was thinking that as I was watching it. <laughs> the only other thing I'd love to add, and that's brilliant that we were on the same page there, is I always felt like Fluff would have been a great soundtrack song. Every time I hear it, I just think, fuck, that should be in a movie. Friday the 13th, you shit like that all the time back in the day. Yeah. Like those little pretty instrumental moments musically. Right. And then Jason jumps out of the fucking lake or some shit, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it'd been perfect. Great question, Wes Ray. Next up, we have Chad Mullins on Facebook. What is your favorite Aussie collaboration? Well, if you listen to our Aussie collaboration episode, you would know mine was Close My Eyes Forever with the great Lita Ford. Josh? I don't remember mine. <laughs> mine changes daily. Was it God's? No, I believe mine was God's with Billy Morrison. I fucking love that track. I think that's the underrated Aussie track. I don't want to say of his career if it's from as simple, but like that's the one people don't even know exists. It's on a Billy Morrison record that people don't even know it's out there. And that song is so fucking good. But yeah, I think mine was God's with Billy Morrison. Are you sure it wasn't Shake Your Head? Let's go to bed. That was Dan's. And I'll tell you, <laughs> I tried to listen to that track the it's other day, man. It's fucking I still, great. I am not with you on that. I'll You're pass. crazy. You know, mine is Close My Eyes Forever. What do you got, Ryan? I've had a, a really a love affair with Crucify the Dead ever since they came out. When he did that with Slash. And I was like, that is the most non-Ozzy, Ozzy song that I can think of. I, did, I love it. I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic song. And I've also had like a, a place in my heart for it. Obviously not being an original track. But I absolutely love 
his cover of Shock the Monkey. I'm probably in a, in a small camp when it comes to that, but I do love that, that track. But Crucify the Dead is definitely, that's probably my favorite. Great library. choices. Man, I remember just being so mad because I felt like Crucify the Dead sounded better than Black Rain vocally. And I was like, what the fuck? How did yeah, Kevin Cherko? Kevin Cherko made Ozzy sound so great on it. And I thought Ozzy doesn't sound quite as good on Black Rain. So that, yes. that's a question I'd love to bring up. But he does sound better on Scream, which is recorded around the same he time. He had Crucified. a less robotic-y sounding voice on Crucify the Dead. It's a very natural, yeah. clean voice on that. And it's, I, that was my instant takeaway also is how great Ozzy sounded on that. And of course, the lyrics clearly written about Axl Rose. Right? Yeah. So up next, we have Dan Cushney on Facebook. Would you rather have the promise of two more Aussie solo albums after Patient Number Nine or one more Sabbath album? That's the kind of shit we like yeah. to talk about. Right? This is okay, the question I, like I want. This. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I like this. this. Awesome. Good job, Dan. You know us, Dan yeah. Cushney. That is man. God, let me think about that for a second. You know, man, I love Thirteen so much, but I got to go to Aussie solo, right? I'm going to more Aussie solo, man. These past couple of years with Ordinary Man and Patient Number Nine, I feel so fucking blessed and fortunate as an Aussie fan to be getting this at this stage of his career. And the thought of two more, I just, I got to go Aussie solo. How do you go, guys? This answer could change after Patient Number Nine comes out and we hear these these Tony tracks. I'm really curious to hear how they work together and not having to be a certain sound. I love 13, but a lot of what a 13 is is trying to replicate the past. And I have a feeling that that's not at all what's going to be end up happening at patient number nine. So that being said, I, I got to go two more. It's just that much more material. I feel Ozzy's solo material is it's just where his wheelhouse is these days. He sounds more comfortable. He's a bit more adventurous. But again, that answer could change once we hear these two patient number nine tracks. Can I make a caveat and say two Ozzy solo albums with Tony, like yeah. an Ozzy Tony <laughs> <Right>. album, <laughs> not a Black Sabbath record? Yeah, and speaking of that, I love what Ryan said about how these two tracks on patient number nine, they don't have to sound like Black Sabbath. Right. And that's an excellent point, Ryan. Like, I haven't even really thought about that. I think they will sound like Black Sabbath, but like you said, they don't have to. And that's pretty fucking cool. I hadn't thought about that. So my answer is, along with the guys, two more solo records. By far. That's definitely my answer. And that being said, I want to add real quick with Ozzy moving to England and Tony having lived in England forever. There's no reason that these these guys can't get together and just do like their own version of a fused, you know, like he did with, with Glenn Hughes. Don't make it a set. Just do your own thing. And I think it could be brilliant. A whole album of Psychomans? Are you kidding me? I'm getting yeah. fucking yeah, hard even, on right now. Yeah. Or even just a couple of singles. With modern technology and digital distribution anyway, just record a couple tracks and put them out. It'd be fucking great. All right. Dan also asks, Dan Cushney, what kind of sound are you hoping for on the second single to patient number nine? Great question. I know my answer. I am hoping for a Beatlesque ballad, very much a la Ordinary Man or Holy for Tonight. I am ready for another amazing Aussie ballad. Man, we love our Aussie ballads, don't we? We fucking love that's part of why we go for the fucking Aussie solos on the last record too, because we fucking the last questions. We fucking love the ballads. That said, I want Tony Iommi bringing the fucking thunder from down under on the next single, man. I want to hear some fucking Tony Iommi fucking riffage is what I want to hear. I got to go with Josh. I mean, I, I I'm right in there with a being a ballad man, but the trend in almost every Aussie album the last three or four has been. Like rocker rocker ballad, so I'm 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 thinking they're going to keep that pace. It makes sense. So as much as I love a ballad, next I, I'm ready for. I'm, I'm I'm hoping it's a Tony track. 
And Dan, that could go to exactly what you said earlier in the show. If you go with Tony next degradation rules or no escape from now as the second single, then right. Eric Clapton track is the third single, which sounds like it could be a ballad. It does. That, yeah. that, that could very well be it. Great question, Dan. Okay. Up next, we have Pat Powson on Facebook. Do you know of any Aussie songs, Sabbath or solo that has been confirmed to have been played live, but no recording has yet surfaced? That's an interesting question. And I like that. It's this kind of stuff we like to discuss on the show. Actually, we did not read through these questions before the show, but we did discuss as I was typing them and I sent it to the guys. Like we didn't come up with our answers, but we did look over and that was the one that kind of stood out that we kind of wanted to check with each other and see what we thought about that, make sure we didn't miss anything. And really, our man Dan came up with the only answer that we can think of. There is one song that Ozzy has played live that is not out there on bootleg, on YouTube, on anything. And I'm going to let our man Dan Drago tell you what it is, because he's the one that actually remembered this one. And that is during the 1987 tour with Zach Wilde. They did a version of Jailhouse Rock when they toured the prisons to bring Zach in. And there is no recording of it. But from a solo perspective, everything has been released. And we really racked our brains here. And we were all coming up with great answers. Like Ryan came up with Party with the Animals, which we do have a recording of. There's Never. They're So Tired. Josh came up with changes. So Demon Alcohol, there's even a live recording of. And those are all songs that were played once, twice at the most. But everything has been released on bootleg except Jailhouse Rock. Yeah. Great question. Copies do exist, but Jailhouse Rock. And I got to be honest with you, I would have overlooked Jailhouse Rock. I just wouldn't have thought about that. But that was a great fucking answer, Dan. Good job on that. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have Michael Duan on Facebook. Just a thought that came across my mind is imagine Brad Gillis was approached to play on patient number nine. Kind of wish he would have made a play on the album thinking this might be Ozzy's last. Ever wish Gillis did a complete album in the past with Ozzy? We all know how good he is. We would love to have Brad on the show, as we just talked about. I am a huge fan of Speak of the Devil. I understand Brad's choice of going back to Night Ranger. Night Ranger was fucking huge at that time. But I, I would love to album with, with Brad Gillis. I think it would be a great rock record. Brad is a shredder. He's a great songwriter. He's just brilliant. I would love to see Jack Blades actually write it with them. I think it would be great to see Ozzy, Jack Blades, and Brad Gillis write a record together because Jack Blades has already written two or three songs with Ozzy already. Yeah, excellent answer. I agree, man. Brad Gillis is definitely a guy that Dan, Ryan, and I hold in extremely high esteem. He's fucking excellent. Job he did coming in and filling in for Randy Rhodes on the Diary of a Madman tour. There's not many players on the planet that could have done that, let alone to the extent that Brad Gillis did it. That said, I would love to hear Brad Gillis on an Aussie track. I think that's something that any fan would get with. One thing that I hear a lot on social media, and I agree with everyone, is an Aussie All-Stars album would be fucking fabulous. You know, you get an album and have Jakey Lee on it, a track. Joe Holmes is on a track. Brad Gillis is on a track. There's no denying that would be fucking epic. No question. But yeah, hearing Aussie with Brad Gillis would be fucking amazing. They never had the opportunity to write together. It's something that I think we all would definitely love to hear. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, it was a, a small blip in time and it's just a what if situation and how great that would have been because he definitely fit the style. And I'm sure in hindsight, looking at the trajectories over the last 30 years, I enjoy Night Ranger quite a bit, you know, but they're on the uh, the state fair market and Ozzy is Ozzy. I'm sure that, you know, looking back, he might have stuck around a bit, but it's just like Joel Holmes. You know, I, I always would have what if, you know, he had this couple of writing credits, but what, what if we got full album material? It would have been fantastic. Yeah, I'd have been all for it, but it was not to be. 
And, you know, another thing, too, I actually just came across this on social media recently. You guys probably saw it, but I think it's very neat. And if you listen to the show, you don't question how big Ozzy Osbourne is. But for anyone that does, you know, Night Ranger, like Ryan just said, yeah, they might be on the state fair circuit, but they're still probably selling 2,000 seats a night, I would say, when they do, you know, venues, 2,000 or so, 1,500, 2,000 seats. But they fucking do a little bit of crazy train during their set. And that's fucking kick-ass to me because you have a guy in Brad Gillis who literally simply finished out a tour for someone who passed away in a plane crash. But yet, 40 years later, he plays one of those songs at his own band's fucking shows because fans want to fucking hear it. It's cool to hear Brad Gillis play crazy train, right? That says a lot about Ozzy Osbourne and about what his career really did go on to be. And, you know, I'm sure Brad might look back at times and question if he should have hung out. But at the same time, Night Ranger was his band. And there's just something dank and definitely vouchers. I guarantee it. There's something about it being your band is different. No question. That's a great point. Dude. Would SG have ever yeah. let Firewind go? Probably not. No. Okay. So Christian Borman on Twitter says, patient number nine. I've listened to it many times now. I like it a lot and I can't wait for the album, especially the Tony Omi tracks. However, am I the only one that reckons the Jeff Beck solo doesn't fit? Not a fan at all. I'm glad when it's over and the main riff kicks back in. Well, speaking for myself, I hate that you feel that way. I do understand that Jeff Beck isn't your typical metal guitar player, but that's exactly why they wanted him for the track, because it's different. Hopefully that grows on you over time. I definitely do enjoy it. It doesn't make me want to run out and learn how to play it the way Crazy Train did or Mr. Crowley. But that's a joke. I can't play Mr. Crowley very good. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from from a standpoint of it's different, but I think the difference is kind of what makes it great. They didn't want prototypical anything. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Do I want a full album of Jeff Beck playing guitar on that record? I don't, but I do enjoy what he does on the song, Patient Number 9. And I will say this very confidently. I much, much prefer the second outro solo over the main solo. I think the outro solo is excellent and it brings a smile to my face every time I hear it. But the main solo is fine. I actually like that it's going to be a little different. Instead of having the same lead over and over and over again, I think it's kind of cool that Ozzy has thought outside the box and brought in some different sounding people. Absolutely. Isn't that the whole issue with Black Rain? It's just too, yeah. you know, just too repetitious, right? Yeah, it's bound to be different. And maybe, you know, I think differently because I'm anticipating this, but hearing all those different guitarists, like it is a bit of a mismatch and it's, it is kind of thrown together in a sense. So I'm anticipating and I'm looking forward to hearing these different styles. It's going to be very different than anything we've heard, obviously between, you know, just the production team in general and like the writing core. And then you have these guys coming in doing their guitar part. You're not mistaking Clapton for Beck or Clapton for Iomi. So it's going to be different. And it's just something you have to kind of brace for. I like it at this point. Ozzy's done everything, be it collaboration, solo, Sabbath, whatever. If you can do something different that like wows me a bit, I'm in. All right, next up from Max Crum on Instagram. He says, which of the Ozzy Sabbath doc films do you think is the best? For me, this is an easy one. I fucking love Don't Blame Me video, really talking about Sabbath and Ozzy's career. I just think it's beautifully done. It's got great music. At that time, it was pre-internet, so I was actually learning stuff, which I hate to be so fucking egotistical, but we really don't learn anything on these later documentaries. And also, I'd like to check Alan Berry. His two documentaries are fucking fantastic, and those are the way documentaries should be done. But for me, my pick is Don't Blame Me, and I'll never, ever get over the fact how much I love when they go from Black Sabbath into the Aussie solo part. It's my favorite part of the video, and it's so fucking cool. It was Don't Blame Me for the longest time. And it still holds a special place in my heart. I remember watching that for the very first time as a really young kid. 
buying that VHS. I have to go with the God Bless Ozzy documentary. There's something just very, very real about it. Seeing him sit down, look through family photos, and reminisce, and then seeing the interviews with his brothers and his sisters, and it was just a side that nothing else captured before, and really nothing has captured since. So Jack did a phenomenal job in just getting the whole family, like including you know his other two kids. It wasn't all rose-colored glasses. It was the raw side and the rough side of what they dealt with growing up. And I found that to be just beautiful. And there was a moment where Ozzy's behind the wheel of his SUV, and he's driving around town and just chatting. It's just the realest he's felt in anything I've seen him before. So I've I've always enjoyed that side. For that, you know, I got to go with God bless Ozzy. Man, I really like both of your guys' answers. I agree with, with Ryan that God bless Ozzy showed a human element that really we hadn't seen before. You have the human element of the Osbournes, which we all fucking hated, right? The way Ozzy was portrayed on that show. But God bless Ozzy showed the human element of not being the greatest father. You know, the part that always stuck out to me was when they asked him Jessica's birthday. And Ozzy looks like he's just about ready to fucking collapse because he don't know it. And he's trying to come up with an answer knowing he don't know the answer, right? It's fucking, it's hard to watch it. Really, if you if you love the man and you love his music and to see him knowing he should know that and he doesn't and his response ended up being I'll get you that later. That was really hard to watch as a parent. It's like, man, like how can you not know that? You know, it's, it's so fucking hard. So I do love those human elements of God bless Ozzy, but I gotta go with Don't Blame Me also because man, that Randy Rhodes section was on motherfucking repeat at my house all the fucking time when I was little. When I was like 13, 14 years old, that Randy Rhodes section lasted maybe 12 minutes, but I would rewind it and watch that shit over and over. And those snippets of After Hours where it was all cleaned up and because, you know, the version of After Hours we all had looked like shit, the ones we ordered from Rockabilia. And on that documentary, it looked so clean and clear. And it was like, oh, gosh, you just watch it over and over. And I would just watch that section just over and over and over. So for me, I'm going to probably go ahead and stick with Don't Blame Me. It definitely covers more of the music side of it, but I do agree with Ryan. If you've not seen God Bless Ozzy Osbourne, you would really enjoy the human element of that one. To me, The Nine Lives of Ozzy was kind of a ripoff of God Bless Ozzy. It just felt like a rehash. Brad Chamberlain on Facebook asks, what are your picks for Ozzy's greatest guest appearances in a movie or a TV show? That's really hard. It was probably when him and Sharon were on The Connors last month or whatever. I'm joking totally. I'm just kidding. But I do, I do watch The Connors. Best appearance on a movie or TV show. I really love the movie Trick or Treat. I told you all I love horror movies. And Ozzy makes an appearance in that as a fucking preacher, which is great. And this is right in the height of the Jimmy Swaggart shit and everything going on with him being just accused of being a Satanist and this and that. And for one, if you like horror movies and you've not seen Trick or Treat, and I don't mean Little Sam Trick or Treat. I mean Sammy Kerr Trick or Treat, which is where the guitar player, the, the rock god, comes back. He dies on stage and comes back and is haunting the fucking town. you got to watch it. It's great. Gene Simmons is in it also, but I really like Ozzy as a preacher in that one. Yeah, that's my same answer as well. It's clearly Trick or Treat, 1986 horror movie. Fucking awesome. I was so excited when I read that he was going to be in a movie because 1986, Ozzy just wasn't doing a lot of that. I just love how he dies, too. Right? He, he puts his finger across the TV screen. Yeah. Right? And kills Ozzy. It's almost like Freddy Krueger-ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Way. It's yeah. so fucking great. Yeah. So my answer, clearly, Trick or Treat. Uh, I love Trick or Treat. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Just because the timing of it and the age that I was, like, it, you know, there was just like the really the height of my beginning of, of, of Ozzy and stuff is it. And we're not going to talk about the quality of the film and Dan, you're shaking your head. Cause you already know where this is going. I know where it's going oh, to. I, I love it. I, <laughs> I hate it. 
I love what he did in Little Nicky. Oh, oh my. yes. <laughs> so yes. perfectly, as, as hokey as the rest of the movie was, him being the savior of the world that just ultimately ended up biting the head off a bat. And he's dressed in like his signature, like frilly arms, but he's got like a, it's almost like a white disco look. It's just a blast. I fucking love it. I can't tell you how many times I've rewound that part or even pulled the clip up on YouTube. You know, I was 14 when that came out and then, you know, it's, I was five years and like my Aussie fan, I was just young and dumb and, that was a blast. I got to say, when I was 14, I rewound Little Nikki a lot also, but it was usually to see Reese Witherspoon in those little fucking angel outfits she was in throughout the movie. But, you Not know, bad, probably, yeah. I probably rewound it and watched Ozzy a few times too. But no, I do love that answer. Another thing about Little Nikki that was awesome too, though, was it played Ozzy's music a lot throughout the movie. Like they referenced Ozzy a lot throughout, it, and that was kind of cool also. Yeah, that's awesome. There's another horror movie called The Wrath from the oh. 80s. That I love that they referenced yeah. uh, being at an Aussie concert and they play Secret Loser in it. Another thing, too, that I want to say real quick, since we're on the topic, our man Wes Ray, who asked a question earlier, who I said knows more about horror than anybody, told me that he's read a lot that there is going to be a re-release coming out very shortly, maybe even this Halloween, of Trick or Treat with the 4K treatment. So hopefully we can get a new re-release of Trick or Treat soon with maybe some additional footage or Dog, who knows with what they might dig up with it, but hopefully that would be fucking awesome. And the movie's called The Wraith, not The Wrath, yeah. by the way. All right, so we have our next question from our very own Ryan Beavers. What is your ideal Aussie solo band? Curveball. They have to have been in the band now or previously, but never at the same time together, which is pretty awesome. So that means I can't pick Bob Daisley and Randy Rhodes because they played at the same time. So I have to pick one of them. Josh, why don't you start? <laughs> you fucker you give yourself time to think about it the whole they can't play can't have played together before at the same time makes it really hard randy rhodes is clearly the fucking god of, of my world so I'm, I'm going with randy on guitar randy castillo on drums they didn't play together and i fucking love me some randy castillo so that's that's kind of an easy one too for me right there the key is bass clearly it can't be geezer he played with randy castillo can't be bob he played with ozzy and those are the two that we kind of think of right so I'm going to go with Chris Weiss, who played on Undercover as the bass player. <laughs> Fuckers. Over Blasco? I'm, I'm joking. I'm here. joking. Right. <laughs> I hate that this isn't on video. If you can see Dan's face when I say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> eight, eight types of contortions. <sighs> yeah. So no, but no, in all sincerity, my bass player is, is Mr. Blasco for sure. I like Blasco a lot, actually. Yeah, he's amazing. What do you got, Ryan? So I asked this question not expecting having to answer it because <laughs> I was all last minute with me being on tonight. So Randy, you know, without even a moment's hesitation, I'm going to go geezer because it's fucking geezer. And I always, I loved what he did with osmosis and I, it would have been cool had he been on no rest and even stuck with the band longer. Now picking geezer, I can't go with Randy and I would love to go with Randy on drums. Throw a little bit more of a curveball here. And I can't stand, we've talked about this before, and I can't stand the guy's ego, but I would love to hear what this band would have done together is Carmine piece. I do love his style. He fit that Ozzy sound in the short bit that he was with them. And I think he'd be just like a cool rhythm section with, with Geezer. And then Adam Wakeman on the keys. Yeah, that, that that's yeah. awesome. It's hard for me not to pick Randy. So I, I think my choices are going to be spot on to what, 
Josh picked Randy, Randy Castillo, and Blasco. You know, part of me wouldn't mind going Randy Geezer because that's fucking brilliant. They'd be and brilliant. Maybe, and maybe Tommy Clefettis, which would have been pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Or even but, Brian Tishy. I'm a big fan of Brian Tishy. He yeah. played in the 2000 tour. Mike Borden's great too. I think I'm a bigger mm-hmm. fan than him than most of you guys. But great question. But my choice is going to be Randy, Randy, and Blasco. Neither one of you guys said Keys. Yeah, fuck off. Oh, Keys. It's it can't be Adam <laughs> Wakeman. So uh, it, 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 it can't be Adam it, Wakeman, and he's our guy. We fucking yeah, love I know. Adam Wakeman. So don't and, don't put us in that spot. Exactly. I guess it's going to have to be Jonathan Sinclair gonna, for me. I'm going to say John Sinclair. Yeah. yeah. And he may have played with Randy Castillo somewhere if we looked it up. Oh, he did. He's on fucking uh, no risk. Whatever. It's it's John Sinclair. Fuck off. (laughs) Ryan, thank you so much for being here, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for everyone that listens and chimes in and plays a role in this. You know, and and I appreciate you guys not only, you know, having me on the show to record, but letting me help play a part and, you know, with them promos and stuff like that. It's, it's, those are my passions is, is the art like that. And then anything Ozzy related. So it just made sense. Yeah. Thank you to everyone that listens and has, has helped this thing grow pretty tremendously. And congrats to you guys for, for everything you've oh, done to well, build it. So. And for those that don't know, Ryan was going to be on the whole show, but we talked for a fucking hour before we started recording and we kind of lost this. <laughs> Thank Sorry, you, man. Ryan. So Christian Boardman on Twitter says, just started listening to your podcast. Curious. How many times have you guys seen Ozzy and where me 36 times, including Sabbath? He says 35 times in the UK and once in Germany, I have seen Ozzy 22 times. Well, I don't want to say it's 11 of each actually. No, it's a lie. I've seen him 23, 12 times with Sabbath and 11 times solo. Jenny Osborne also asked that same question. How many times have you seen Ozzy live? And her answer was currently at 11 and praying she will get to see him one more time. Love your last name, Jenny. And she spells it with the OU. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so pretty cool. cool. Jenny Osborne, yeah. Great question. I can't tell you the breakdown off the top of my head. I just know I've seen him 24 times. I'm one ahead of Josh. And I really hope I can see him one more time to make it 25. That, that would be special for me. But yeah. fuck, man, 36 times. Great job. Christian. Yeah, good job. You must have followed a tour or something. That's excellent. Next up is the Franger on Twitter. Great pod, guys. My question. I've had a ticket to see Ozzy in Dublin for a few years now. What do you think of the chances of him touring? It's a really good question. I do not foresee Ozzy doing a full-blown tour ever again. The only thing I could see him doing is maybe a couple of Ozfests, like two or three performances a year, or a Vegas residency. That's it. Dildo. I mean, I hate to say that. It breaks our heart, but I don't see Ozzy touring again either. The Vegas residency is something we keep bringing up on the show. I think that's very possible. Short sets even, maybe an hour or so. But yeah, I think an actual full-blown tour is something that I just can't see in his future. Let's let's hope he does. I know it means the world to him to finish that European tour that he's been put off so many times already. So we definitely hope he can finish that out, but I'm not sure I see it happening. Up next, the Franger has another question. It says, will Ozzy ever open the vaults and release archived material? A box set like Thin Lizzy's Rock Legend set, perhaps? Me and Dan hope so. This is the kind of shit we fucking love. I think so. I hate to say it, but probably post-mortem. After he passes away, you know how they always do with everyone else, like Prince and Michael Jackson and Jimi Hendrix and everyone else. This will all fucking come out. As we've talked a lot about on the show, we know of several completely recorded albums that are currently in the archives. They're, They're in the vault, right? I foresee after Ozzy passes, we start getting those one at a time. Unfortunately, it'd be much celebrated and we'll be glad to hear it, but I would certainly rather hear it now rather than later. Yeah, I agree. I think eventually they'll come out post-mortem. You know, we have a lot of them. We have Ozzy Land. We have 
X-Ray. We have I Did It All Because of You in 99. We have Rasputin. We have the Christmas album that he did. Yeah, of course. Not to mention just random things here and there that you're oh, working, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much. that You got a 50-plus year career. I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff laying around. There's tracks from Undercover we haven't heard. I don't mean to keep bringing yeah. that album up today, but, I mean, you know, there's a Jeff Beck track, High Ho Silver Lining, that's never came out. That's right. And now we have the Jeff Beck connection with Patient Number 9. So, I mean, who knows? Hopefully one day. That would have been a good Japanese B-side. Yeah, for sure. For uh, Patient Number 9. All right, up next we have James Bertrand. Over the years, Ozzy has a reputation of plucking future guitar gods from semi-obscurity. Do you guys think that Ozzy simply has a natural gift for sniffing out guitarists who are just special? Or do you think occupying the position of Ozzy's guitar player is just a great place to develop into a future guitar god? Whether it be from Ozzy's influence, the attention, port system, or whatever. This is a great question, and I think it's a combination of both of them. Ozzy does have a sniff of just knowing a great guitar player. I mean, how many times has he almost went one direction? George Lynch has been in the band a few times and Ozzy's changed at the last minute. He almost had Alex Skolnick for a while and changed directions at the last minute. I just think Ozzy has a vibe and a feel. It's not just about playing, it's the whole package. And it's hard. You have Randy, Jake, and Zach, and they are three of the best guitar players maybe over the last 30 plus years in metal. So Ozzy just has a knack of picking these people out. And on top of that, I think everybody wants to be Ozzy Osbourne's fucking guitar player. Right. I really like this question. And to be clear, this is my buddy, JB. Many have been to many Ozzy concerts together. And JB is also the one that pointed out to me that that is exactly the end of the guitar solo on patient number nine. So James Bertrand, JB, same guy. JB, my opinion is very much the same as Dan's, but I have a little bit of a variation on how I want to state it. I think Ozzy's unique ability for melody plays into him also finding guitar players who are perfect for the job. Like Dan said, he has his pick at this point of anyone he wants. Pretty much after Randy Rhodes, he had his pick of anyone he wanted, right? But I think anyone can shred. But playing with melody is so much harder than it seems. The same as singing with melody. And I think Ozzy has a unique ability to hear. Not only can he shred, but he's very melodic. That's what makes Randy Rhodes better than Eddie Van Halen, in my opinion. Eddie can shred too, but I think Randy's remarkably more melodic. And I think Ozzy can really find that in a player. Zach's very melodic. Jakey Lee's very melodic. Those fucking guitar solos on Bark of the Moon. Oh. And I think Ozzy just has a way of hearing this guy can shred, but he can also write music melodically to a point to where the guitar solos are iconic in that you can hum them back in your head almost like they're song lyrics and you can hear them. And almost sing to him as a melody. And I think that really is what put his guitar players over everyone else's. I'm going to make a very, very controversial statement, too. I believe Ozzy's melodies and capability of writing with other guitar players is also what makes them special. I don't believe Randy Rhodes is the legend he is if he never met Ozzy Osbourne. I'm sorry. I just don't. Those records show Randy's growth as a musician and a lot of that is Bob and Ozzy. Yeah, for sure. There was a chemistry and a magic between the four of those guys that will never be replicated in our eyes. But yeah, agree totally, Dan. I, there's no question in that they both helped each other so much move on to the next stage of their careers, right? It was it was magic. Shannon Manny, 2014 on Instagram, says, The song you said it all should have been on Blizzard of Oz. What do you guys think? Controversial. I don't think so, actually. Uh, I love it. Of course, I fucking love it. And I'm glad it's out now, you know, on digital distribution. It should have been out 20 years ago. I don't think you said it all is as good as the tracks on Blizzard of Oz. I love it. 
it sounds a little bit like White Snake to me. I don't think it's quite at that level. Blizzard of Oz to me and Diary of a Madman are both perfect records. No Bone Movies and Little Dolls are two least favorite songs, but they're still fucking excellent, man. That bridge on Little Dolls, don't get me started. It's amazing. But you said it all is slightly a notch below those for me. No. I do love it, but I think it being on later years as a bonus track is the perfect place for it. Obviously, the song was never intended to be on Blizzard of Oz. So I just want to let you guys know that was recorded specifically for the Mr. Crowley EP. They needed a song. There is no studio version of You Said It All. That is the only version of it. I think the better question is, looking at you, looking at me, should have been on Blizzard of Oz as it was intended over No Bone Movies. Yes. And I do believe that. But I think You Said It All is better than No Bone Movies as well. So I do think it would have been great if they had recorded it, but it was written after the whole writing session and recording of Blizzard of Oz. But you look at me, you looking, you was 100% intended to be on the record. Yeah. Yeah, And you said it all just so we're clear, recorded during sound check. And Randy went back and recorded the guitar solo in the truck out back of the venue after recording the sound check. So that's literally all it was. Thank God we have it because it's just one more great Randy Rose track that we all can enjoy. and, And we do love that song also. Simon Main on Facebook says, We've seen Rob Halford stand in for Ozzy when he was fronting Sabbath. But what if someone had to stand in for Ozzy at a solo show? Who do you think would do a good job in the absence of Ozzy? To me, this is an impossible question. I don't think I would even want to hear it. I'm sorry to say. It's one thing singing Sabbath. It's a whole nother ballpark singing Ozzy solo. For me, I don't think it's anybody. Yeah, this actually happened for me once, Ozfest 97. You can go back to the archives. Episode three or four and we discussed Ozfest 97 and I was at the show in Columbus, Ohio where Ozzy had to no show and his band came out solo and did five songs with guest singers. And while it was fun, it ain't fucking Ozzy Osbourne, but I did really enjoy Marilyn Manson's version of crazy train. You might be able to find that on YouTube, but that said, no one can stand in for the Oz man. There's only one. Another question from Simon main. Is there a song from another artist or band that you'd like to hear performed with the full Ozzy treatment? So an Ozzy cover, a Mississippi queen would be a good one. Maybe in my life by the Beatles. I don't know. <laughs> I I'm, on under, I'm on an undercover kick tonight, right? I need to go listen what to Undercover. Fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> a song that I would like to hear Ozzy redo. I would like to hear Ozzy sing A Wider Shade of Pale because it's his favorite song. And Ozzy's the fucking man with ballads, right? So I would love to hear him do A Wider Shade of Pale. That would be fucking epic in my eyes. For me, it's as many John Lennon songs as I can name in the moment. I would love to hear him do isolation off of John Lennon's first solo record. I think it would be fucking amazing. And so many of John Lennon's melodies is where Ozzy learned his trade and he sings him so well. So I'm going to pick any song by John Lennon. You know, I would love to hear him do I am the walrus. And in particular, I think my number one choice would be a day in the life. A day in the life is when you said John Lennon and the Beatles, that's where my mind would also a day in the life would be fucking great. Yeah. And there's a couple off revolver too. Like she said, she said, and Andrew Bird can sing. Fuck, Ozzy was made to sing those songs. Let's do a whole Ozzy, John Lennon cover record. That would blow Undercover right out of the fucking water. Oh, no question. Because the highlights of Undercover were clearly the Beatles and John Lennon's track. No yeah. questions about it. That was definitely the highlight of that whole session. All right. Up next, we have CC Nicks on Instagram. Do you all think Ozzy is going in the right direction musically in the new decade? Is there something you wish he was doing differently? And what kind of impact do you all think Ozzy has on reviving the rock scene for you people in recent years? CC asks a couple of different questions here. I do think Ozzy's going in the right direction as he has gotten older. The one thing I wish he would do is add a little bit more 
guitar riffs into his songs. I do think that is missing. And that's why I've always been very loud and called for a record with him and Gus G together, because I think him and Gus G would have brought the thunder. And I think Gus G's riffs would have been fucking perfect for Ozzy. So if there's one thing I wish he would have done is just kind of harken back a little bit to the eighties, even like a no rest for the wicked vibe. Obviously those first two records will never be touched, but more riffs in general. He's also asked a couple of other questions. I do think Ozzy has revived the rock scene. And I'll tell you when he did it, that was in the two thousands with Ozfest. That's when metal was really dead and Ozzy really kept it afloat with his Ozfest festival. Excellent answer, Dan. Yeah. Ozfest 100% changed everything. It changed the whole game. A matter of fact, in case you all don't know, Ozzy wanted to headline Lollapalooza and they passed. They flat yep. didn't want him because they didn't see him as relevant with the scene anymore. And that's when Sharon said, well, fuck you. And went out and just created Ozfest and literally brought the metal scene back. And Ozfest carried on as Lollapalooza started to struggle. So it was a fucking excellent thing for the rock scene. And so many bands came up through Ozfest. I know I went to every one of them. And it was great to go see a band on the second stage. Then next year, the late second stage. Then the next year, they're on the main stage. And it would just, you'd see their career just progress. And it was, it was fucking so fun to watch. So I'm with you, Dan. That was an excellent answer. And also, CC Nicks on. Ozzy's direction. I love his direction. I think Ozzy has done a really good job of staying relevant with the times. In all honesty, we all love Bark at the Moon. And if the new album sounded like Bark at the Moon, yeah, Dan and I'd be jacking off, but the general public probably wouldn't. We typically like the retro sound as diehard fans, but if you're wanting to stay relevant with the kids and with the current product, you got to move on and change and recreate yourself. And I think Ozzy's done a really good job of doing that. I actually do like the current direction with Andrew Watt. Great answer. Okay, Kenneth Bowders on Facebook says, you can get on stage with Ozzy and you can choose any song to play. What song do you play live with Ozzy? You can assume he's having a great day and anything from his catalog is in his range. Man, I like this question. Dan already knows my answers because I've discussed it with him before. So I'm going to sound like a fucking pussy, but I'll go ahead and tell you. I have dreamed many times in my sleep about jamming with Ozzy. I'll go ahead and tell you. And eight times out of ten, we're playing changes on the piano i'm playing changes on the piano and ozzy's singing along with me just sitting beside of me it's not on stage it's actually usually chilling in the back like after show or something like that with a bunch of friends around or just a couple of us for me that would be it i'd love to sit down at the piano i do play guitar mostly but i do play some piano and i'd like to sit down and play changes with him dan that's a great answer josh i love that you threw a piano answer in there so fucking cool mine is pretty easy it's my favorite song to play on the guitar it's just something that I played every time during soundcheck and I just thought it'd be perfect. And that's into the void. I know Ozzy does it live, but for me, it's probably the greatest riff ever written. And I would just love to play it with Ozzy. So mine is into the void. Yeah. Great answer. I got to say, I do got to throw in there a second answer. My band does a little cover of symptom of the universe. We just do a quick instrumental section of it just to kind of get the crowd revved up. And it would be pretty fucking badass for Ozzy to join us and sing Symptom of the Universe, right? Yeah, of course. So that, that would be fucking awesome. No yeah. question. you know. But yeah, I, I like your answer also. Next up is Thomas Baumgartner on Facebook. What are the songs you don't want to hear live anymore? And which are the songs that would drive you nuts played live by Ozzy and the band? So for me, I know this is going to sound crazy, but Crazy Train and Suicide Solution. I've had enough of them live. And I know that's kind of crazy, but I don't need to hear them anymore. Bark at the Moon, Mr. Crowley, bring it on every fucking show. But Crazy Train, maybe even I don't know. I'm 50-50 on. I do fucking love it, but I've heard it so much live that I'd be okay if we skip it. I'd yeah. say Crazy Train and Suicide Solution. And here's my main answer. When I see Ozzy solo, 
I don't want any Sabbath. I only want Paranoid. Agreed. I'll take Paranoid. That's it. Everything else should be Ozzy solo. I'm so tired of Iron Man War Pigs and all those songs when, when I go see Ozzy solo. No more yeah. Sabbath. Especially when you're touring with Sabbath one year, then solo the next, and Sabbath and solo. Save, yeah. save the Sabbath songs for Sabbath. We've talked right. about that for a decade between us. I agree 100%. My answer for the song, I could do without hearing again live. I don't want to change the oh, world. Good one. I yeah, don't yeah. want the world to change me. I would change the track. I love this song. Nothing against it. Same as you love Crazy Train, I know. I could definitely do with hearing something different. The second part of your question, which song would you go nuts to hear live? I'm going to answer for Dan and I both because we've discussed it on the show before. We want to hear Waiting for Fucking yeah, Darkness. That's he it. keeps talking about doing Waiting for Darkness, and he never does it. Fucking do it already. At least one night where we can get a YouTube video of it. Fuck. Absolutely. Great answer. All right, up next, Hippie Death Cult Band on Instagram. Go check those guys out. Says, it would be cool to hear some discussion on the pre-Black Sabbath Earth demos. I'm surprised they never released the material. You know, it's really shocking that in all the years, they've never released any of this stuff officially. It's out there. Everyone's heard it. We all have copies of it, you know, bootlegs and whatnot. I really like the Rebel. I think it's just a fun little jam. Clearly not the same as the Black Sabbath that we all know and love, but it is shocking that it's not made an appearance somewhere on a box set or something. But, you know, I do love those tracks. It's kind of like Quiet Riot to Randy Rhodes with Ozzy, though, right? Like, it's good, but it definitely is not what Randy went on to do with Ozzy Osbourne. This stuff is good, but it definitely is not what Black Sabbath went on to be with Black Sabbath either when they really found themselves. But definitely fun tracks, and I do enjoy them. It's a great question. Everybody, check out Hippie Death Cult Band. They're an amazing band. Our buddy Eddie B is the guitar player, and they're fucking smoking. If you're into Sabbath, you're going to love these guys. Matter of fact, I'm going to go see them here in a couple of weeks down here in Phoenix. Great question, Eddie. You know, I love the Rebel. I like the Rebel better than when I came down. I'm going to say they don't get a lot of love for this reason and this reason only. They're both covers, and they're not written by the band. Song for Jim was written by the band, but that is, I believe, an instrumental. Ozzy wouldn't be on that track. I think that's the reason why that hasn't seen much light of day, but I don't think there's a lot of material. I think when I came down on the rebel, we're definitely recorded and you can hear both of them online. I think the rebel is fucking outstanding and I would love a real release of it, but they're both cover songs. And I don't think that the band is that passionate about them. And I think live, they were just doing a lot of blues covers and stuff back then too. And some of that stuff probably did end up on black Sabbath because most debut album is covers. You know, a lot of those songs are covers, covers of old blues tracks. So definitely something that would be fun to officially be released. Maybe one day down the road. All right. Our last question is from my brother, Thomas Drago on Twitter asks, do you consider it Black Sabbath without Ozzy? He does not. It's a really interesting question. It's something we don't really talk a lot about, even though I know we're big fans of other eras of Black Sabbath. Me personally, here's where I draw the line. I think Black Sabbath ended pretty much with Born Again. I do consider Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. They should have changed the name, but The two Dio records and Born Again, I do feel as Black Sabbath. Once Tony Iommi came out with Seventh Star, which is a great record, and it was supposed to be a solo record, I think that's when the wheels kind of came off. Dehumanizer, I consider Black Sabbath. In a weird way, Cross Purposes has Tony and Geezer on it, but I still don't consider the Tony Martin era really Black. It's Black Sabbath. I consider it Black Sabbath. I do. I consider anything Tony Iommi's on Black Sabbath, but at the end of the day, Really, Black Sabbath ended for me with Born Again. Yeah, that's pretty much an answer that I'm going to give a dildo to. I really don't even want to give credit to the Dio era as Black Sabbath because it was just so different for me. But ultimately, I can't disregard 
how well those albums were received and how popular they are amongst the fan base. So there's no doubt. I do like calling that era heaven and hell. Kind of like you know when they changed the name in the later years, you know, for the Devil You Know record, and you know they started kind of going by Heaven and Hell, and that was definitely an issue at the time. Some people did not like that, and were not fans of it. I kind of did, and in a way, when I say this, this is a respect for Ronnie James Dio and for Vinny Appice. They were good enough to have their own thing. They didn't need to be in Black Sabbath's shadow with Ozzy Osbourne and Bill Ward. It's almost like this band is good enough to stand on its own two legs. They don't have to have the name Black Sabbath. So for me, Black Sabbath ends with Ozzy Osbourne. And Heaven and Hell begins with album Heaven and Hell with Ryan James Dio and going forward there. That's my personal answer. And like I said, a lot of it is actually a respect for RJD that I think they can stand on their own. I think the best thing they ever did is when they came out with Heaven and Hell. And I understand why they didn't call that Black Sabbath. I really do, because they were just nominated and entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ozzy was back in the band. Ozzy was touring a lot with them. It really would have been dodgy marketing to, to label themselves as Black Sabbath at that point. But the great thing is they only did Dio era songs. And to me, and I saw that band live quite a few times when they reformed as Heaven and Hell. It was fucking brilliant. But I loved it that I did not have to sit through Dio singing Ozzy songs. So hats off to the band to only do that. And again, it goes back to what I said. They could stand on their own two legs, right? Yeah. They didn't need that. So, And that's excellent. I agree 100%. Okay, man. Fun episode. This kind of went a little longer than we expect. Our man Ryan Beavers, he just fucking drags it out. My he does, God. man. Jesus, Ugh, Jesus Christ. Who invited that man. guy? Oh, what a rambler. <laughs> but anyways, we definitely appreciate everyone for reaching out with your comments and questions. We received a lot of questions. We tried to get to all of them. It really means a lot to us. And, you know, keep listening. Subscribe on social media. If you haven't subscribed to us on social media, do that. We are definitely the first place to bring you all the new Aussie news. We've actually broke some national Aussie news over the past year. We've done a lot. We're really proud of the show and where it's went. But add us on social media so you can be a part of shows like this and submit questions and comments for us. Dan, before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to say? I just want to thank the listeners to have such a tremendous first year. We couldn't have done it without you guys. And I'm super proud of our show. Hopefully, we can continue to do this for a long time. Absolutely. Like I said earlier, Dan and I had joked. I say a joke. It was actually very serious. Dan asked me one day, he said, how many listeners would you consider successful? I said, if we have 20 a week, I'm tickled to death. And I'm going to reiterate that again because we really are blowing that out of the water, to say the least. We're really proud of our numbers. And Dan, thank you for you know having me on board with it and, and Ryan for doing all of our art. And the first year has been awesome, man. Here's to many more and, and more and 10 more and 10 more. I was just thinking that, dude, when I said it. <laughs> And, and another 10. And right. another 10. There you <laughs> yeah, go. exactly. But yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. And hopefully we will see you on the other side. So one of our main men, Josh, went and saw a concert this week. Shit, that's my phone. Hold on. Oh my god, that's such an old man mistake. They could, they, they could be a drop right there, that's, couldn't it? <laughs> that's my. It's unfortunately my work phone, which oh. I typically have to leave on. But uh, when Dan went bark from the moon, Mr. Crowley, I just went with him because I'm lazy. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an idiot. I didn't even understand the question. Hi, friends. With what we know through the years, autobiographical booze interview. It's just a book, shouldn't it?
I wrote booze. It should be bugs, right? You also spelled Steve <laughs> wrong, but I didn't want to say anything. Oh, it's probably fucking. It says Via. Via. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that was spell check, whatever. Fuck off. <laughs> Autog- autobiographical <laughs> booze. That's so good. Yes. <laughs> no, that's what he typed. He typed booze. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't boobs, to be honest. That is true. Brad Chamberlain on Facebook asked, really What quick, are your I just gotta say he wrote what are your pricks? <laughs> That's what I was laughing at before I was trying to read ahead. And I thought I thought he was asking what do you pricks think? And I was like, what motherfucker? And then I realized Josh I can't wrote lie. pricks. I, I read ahead and saw it too, and I was like, Oh, I'll put pricks instead of pigs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I transpose these over. Fuck off. So Brad Chamberlain on Facebook asks, What are you? <laughs> I about said, What are you pricks? <laughs> <laughs> oh god 